Good morning, it's DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, it was a fun weekend of basketball. There was a lot going on. Well, it wasn't all fun if you watched the Jazz lose to the Warriors. I wouldn't blame you if you bailed out on the fourth quarter of that game and went and watched the NCAA selection show. I'm in Channel 2 at that point, and we got multiple TVs, so we had everything going, but that... That was rough. The Jazz got off on the wrong foot and stayed on the wrong foot. Uh, you'll hear from Quinn Snyder, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley, all coming up in the best of the Jazz postgame show in the next segment. Right now, though, we're going to talk some March Madness. Good news for BYU. They're in the tournament as a six seed, and I don't think any Cougar fans expected anything better than a six. I think some of you thought it might be a seven or eight. Some of you might have figured they always seat us two or three lines too low. We're going to be a nine. But they're not. They are a six seed. And Utah State's in as an 11. Aggie fans have got to love that because a lot of people are sweating whether they're in or not and if they're just barely in there in their first four. But they're not in the first four. They're straight into the field of 64. They skip over the, the 68 stuff and get to the 64. So Utah State's going to play Texas Tech on TNT Friday uh, at 11.45 Mountain Time. And we're going to hear from their head coach right now. Craig Smith, it was uh, just Amped up, just so amped up, and sleeping pretty well, apparently. Here is the Aggies head coach. Hey, guys, it's so good to see you guys. I can't explain that. Um, um, we're excited, obviously, to, to go to the NCAA tournament and got our dancing shoes on, and I don't know much about Texas Tech, but I do know they're really well coached, and they always play super hard and very, very disciplined, but we're excited. It's a culmination of, uh, you know, we got work to do. We want to go in there and uh, our goal every year is to get to the NCAA tournament and win when we get there. And, um, uh, but we're excited to be playing, like we've said all year. Um, you know, our metrics were really, really good. Um, when you look at the net and Ken Palm and all that kind of stuff, and it's actually really similar to two years ago uh, in terms of our numbers. So uh, it's a good thing. You know, that tournament we played in early on, starting out one and two, three teams from that tournament got, a, got at large bids. We knew that was going to be a great turn tournament and even when we signed up for it at that time Creighton was in the tournament obviously they made it uh, Wichita State was supposed to be our first opponent uh, and they got in at large as well so you know there was a lot of maybe not like big time name brand teams in that tournament but we knew there was a lot of really good teams Northern Iowa was a team that was projected to be first or second in the valley uh, and then their best player went down for the year so uh, that was a really good win for us but you know, it's been a, a long year in some respects just because of all the COVID protocols and just uh, being unsure. Even this morning when we tested, you're just on pins and needles, you know. To, it felt like a victory when we all tested negative this morning. Um, I'll tell you, though, it's been a, an amazing season. And these group, this group has been a, it's a special, special group. And I would have said that if we wouldn't have made the NCAA tournament, these guys get along so well. We have great chemistry. We're very young when you look at the whole roster. Um, but these guys stuck through it through a lot of times. You know, I said it on the postgame show yesterday. We, we go in January and February and don't have a home game for 42 days. Like, that's hard to do. And it's not like we were shut down. You know, we had, a, I guess, a 15-day window there where we didn't play games or, you know, roughly 15 and then had some adversity late with some injuries. And we just kept charging, kept coming, never made excuses. Our guys weren't hanging their heads. Uh, we just had an attitude that craved improvement and just kept chopping wood and kept getting better. And I loved how we finished the season. Obviously, last night was a little disappointing, a few plays here or there. Um, but, you know, the goal every year is to make the NCAA tournament. I think it's the third time in the history of Utah State, maybe the fourth. 
um, to get in that large bid. And it's just like a good poker game, right? If you got a chip in a chair, um, you got a chance at the ultimate prize. And so that will open it up to any questions. So Craig, this is Jeff Hunter. What, what's your schedule? I like now your background, you're Jeff. I think we might need yeah, to do yeah. that this summer. We'll go climb that in the summer. Uh, <laughs> are you going right to Indianapolis then? What's that? Vegas? You're going right to Indianapolis? Yeah, we're actually in Las Vegas yeah. right now. We're in our, uh, we have this huge ballroom with so, for social distancing. And so we just watched the selection show um, earlier. And, and that was one of the protocols um, from the NCAA slash Mountain West Conference is, you know, we knew we were obviously a bubble team coming in and the Mountain West asked us to stay here um, because of this sort of thing. So the NCAA will be flying a plane in here and we'll be leaving the Indy and uh, within, I think, a couple hours. And so um, um, our bags are packed and, and we can't wait to roll. We packed for a couple of weeks. And some of the guys even did laundry last night. <laughs> you still don't know what location you're going to be at though, right? Which No, we don't. And um, we don't, uh, we don't, you know, I know I, I didn't even see it. I just saw the Texas tech pop up and Utah state is the 11. And uh, I didn't look at what day we're playing. I think it's Friday is what Steve Grabowski or uh, our director of operations said. So uh, I don't know that there's any time set or anything like that, but um, so I don't know any of the logistics. Coach um, Alex with the Salt Lake Tribune. Um, congrats on the bid. Um, Thanks Alex. You're welcome. You've told me and media time and time again that during the season, you don't watch prognosticators. You don't pay attention to this kind of stuff. Um, how much were you paying attention to it today and how nervous were you um, just kind of as the selection show was, was rolling on? Um, honestly, I had a really calm feeling. Um, I didn't get a whole lot of sleep. Uh, well, last night I had a great night of sleep, but the previous three nights there wasn't a lot of sleep. Uh, maybe the night before the championship game, just simply – so really short prep. We had COVID. We had to leave on a bus at 8:15 for COVID testing. Um, I, I fell asleep last night at literally 8:40 at night, and I'm a night owl, but I was <laughs> exhausted. I had an amazing night of sleep, and I woke up really calm. Uh, I just felt good about where we were at. You know, you, the Mountain West had a great year. Uh, the the top five teams I thought were very very good, and um, and we finished second in the regular season. We obviously got to the championship game. I knew our metrics were really, really sound, were really good. I mean, the, our metrics were, like I said, very, very comparable to where we were two years ago. Now, I didn't know that until after the championship game, but we have a couple guys on our staff that fo have followed this really close. I knew we played a good non-conference schedule, uh, and I knew we had to overcome. I mean, uh, you know, like I said the other night, we, we like, I test positive for COVID before BYU, and we, you know, we could have not played that game, but everything – checked out with contact tracing and whatnot. And we wanted to play. And that's been our motto all year long. Even at the end, we wanted to play. And so um, I wasn't, I mean, I was pretty calm. Now, obviously when it gets up on the screen in that first region, I think it was the West region, you go through it and you see Wichita State is 11. You kind of get a little bit like, uh, but then after I thought about it for a second, I thought that really helped us that they were an 11. And seeing UC Santa Barbara as a 12, I thought it, that showed that it valued, you know, not just the BCS schools. And, and then obviously with our name being called and, and, and being an 11 seed and not the plan, 
you know, it, it all added up and I thought it made sense. So I, I felt uh, comfortable, but I'm not going to say there wasn't a few times where you're just thinking about it. I looked at my first Lenardi um, tweet uh, for the first time today. And so, you know, I, I truly don't pay a lot of attention to that. I knew more this year than the last two years, just because we had more downtime, you know, when we had that one game in 21 days or whatever, um, there was just a little more downtime. So I had a little bit of a feel. And then, of course, when we lost last night, I was asking some of our Steve Grabowski, Brandon Ubel, Kern Walsh really pay a lot of attention to what's going on with that stuff. Coach uh, Al Lewis here. You said you haven't looked at Texas Tech, but Chris Beard coached one of your guys. I'm sure yeah. you had to talk to him about that. And Beard was supposed to be the coach of UNLV before he took the job at Texas Tech. It came open and things like that. So there's a little bit of a connection there. Yeah, uh, Chris Beard's a great guy. He's a great coach. Um, I, he took the UNLV job, I think, for 48 hours or whatever it might be. Actually, my agent is the same agent that Chris has, um, Brett Just, who's, does a, who's really, really good. And so there's a connection that way. And then, of course, you know, when Matt Mooney decided to, you know, was a heck of a player for us at the University of South Dakota, an all-league guy, was in the NBA for a, for a little bit last year and just got done with his G League stuff and um, it, it's ironic because he texted me uh, the night after we beat Colorado State. Good luck in the championship. I texted him this morning. Um, Thanks. You know, I feel good about where we're at. And he goes, and, and um, he, he's going to try to go to Indy to be at a game. And ironically, and he literally sent that in the text. I could show it to you. And I, how ironic is it that we're playing? Of course, he went to Texas Tech as a grad transfer after we came to Utah state and, and coach Beard reached out about Matt, um, just trying to get a, you know, kind of what kind of person is he, what kind of kid is he, all that, all that kind of stuff. And so I don't know Chris real, real well, but I know him well enough if that makes sense. And, and, and through Matt Mooney, and of course they played in the national title game that year. And uh, Matt was a big part of that. And of course, Mark was there for that. Yeah, and Mark, yeah, exactly. Mark was there uh, participating in that game. And that was an unbelievable game. Uh, my family and I were there watching it firsthand and, and uh, cheering on Matt and the, and, Red Ra- and the Red Raiders. And, of course, um, um, uh, Coach Wells, right, our football coach, of course. And we played in Lubbock um, early January against New Mexico and had a chance to reconnect with, uh, with Matt Wells while, while we were down there. He came to the games. One more question for coach. Yeah, coach. Um, obviously, because of COVID last year, nobody who made the tournament was able to compete in it. How much more special maybe does this bid mean for you guys after winning the conference tournament and kind of not being able to get the chance to play? Yeah, certainly that was a tough pill to swallow. I, I still feel, I feel bad for, you know, our seniors last year and Sam and Diogo and Abel and Roche, um, because that's, you know, you get four years in your life or maybe five to be able to participate in something like that. Uh, I haven't really looked at my text, but I did just scroll through and Abel and Sam both texted. And so that's pretty cool. Diogo Brito um, sent some direct messages before the tournament. And after, after the, even after we lost it, uh, I woke up this morning and there was a message from Diogo. And so that's a pretty cool thing. We always, we pride our, te- our, our team being a family and having great culture. You can see by the sweatshirt. And, um, and it's really, a, it's one of the most rewarding things for a coach is when former 
guys that have played in your program and been a part of it come back and we bring them into the locker room or watch practice or they send out texts or they send happy father's day or whatever it might be. It's a really unique thing and that shows the bond that we've been able to create and develop. Um, so I think for, I can't speak for the guys that were a part of that team last year, but certainly, you know, for myself, that is a void and this doesn't overcome that. That'll always be, you know, something that happened, but at the same time, this team is a different team. We have nine guys that didn't play one at the start of the year. We had nine guys that never played a minute for the Aggies. Now we have eight and, and this is a whole different team. You know, there was a lot of naysayers out there that, you know, with the losing of, with us losing some very good guards and some veteran guys, you know, the jury was out, but uh, I give so much credit to our upperclassmen, the leadership that they provided. And it was transformational. You know, you could just see it happening in front of your eyes where guys like, you know, Alfonso Anderson and Brock Miller and Namish Keda and Justin Bean and Marco Anthony just took over. And it truly was a transformational thing if you just pay any attention at all to what's going on with the group dynamics and team dynamics. And I just, I'm just so proud of what they were able to do. And I said that to him last night after we lost when we didn't know if we were going to make it or not. And um, man, they carried the torch and brought it to a whole nother level. And it's an exciting team and, and we'll see what we can do, you know, in a week. There's the Aggies head coach, Craig Smith, as they get ready for Texas Tech on Friday in the NCAA tournament. Three years on the job, he's had him in the tourney every year. Obviously, they didn't get to play last year, but they had an automatic bid after winning the conference tournament. So he has done a heck of a job. And you got to wonder how long before someone comes with a, uh, you know, from a, a Power Five conference with a lot of football money and tries to pry him out of Logan because he's had a great, a great three year run in Logan. All right, we can take a break. When we come back, the best of the Jazz post game show, Cougar reaction to the NCAA tournament after that. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. The Jazz lose to the Warriors. Turnovers, fast break points, some of the same problems that Bugged him at the end of the Houston game. Here's Jake with the wrap-up. True Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. Tough day yesterday for the Utah Jazz. They lose to the Golden State Warriors in San Francisco, 131-119. to A game where very little defense was played by anybody not named Rudy Gobert for the Utah Jazz. Rudy had a historic night. It just came in a loss. For the Warriors, Steph Curry had 32 Andrew Wiggins at 28. Draymond Green with a triple-double, 11 points, 12 assists, and 12 rebounds. Uh, Even James Wiseman coming in off the bench had 16 points in 23 minutes. I mean, Golden State pretty much did whatever they wanted. As far as Jazz go, I mentioned Rudy. Career-high, Jazz franchise-high, 28 rebounds for Rudy yesterday uh, to go along with 24 points. He also had two steals and four block shots. Just a monster day for Rudy, but it came in a loss. Uh, Donovan had 24 um, 
He had a tough night on the turnover front, though. Four turnovers. Uh, Mike Conley with 23. Jordan Clarkson at 21 coming in off the bench. But again, defense, big problem for the Utah Jazz yesterday, and they come away with the L. Let's hear some uh, post-game sound. Let's start with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Hey, Coach, we'll get started with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Quinn. So after the uh, Houston game the other night, you described the performance as very poor. Uh, seems like after the defensive effort tonight, there's there's still yet more room to improve. Uh, what would you say the primary issue was tonight? Well, we you know we we didn't execute the way that we need to. Um, whether that be you know being shifted on the weak side um, to protect the rim, protect on rolls when we were you know we were trying to get the ball out of Steph's hands. Um, but if we're going to do that. Um, we got to protect the rim, and, and he can't get nine three. So this, the, 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 we didn't really take our execution was such that we, we didn't take enough things away, um, you know. And they obviously capitalized on that. But we've got to be more focused in in what we want to do from an execution standpoint and um, make it happen out on the court. Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Hey, coach. Another- 2020 game for Rudy. He told me that it's on him to set the tone defensively. How has he grown this year as far as his maturity and focus on that end? Well, I think he's keeping his focus. Um, and there's times when Rudy could let what's happening on one end of the floor, you know, impact the other. Um, he's just been much more consistent with that. Uh, When he does that, you know, he's obviously very impactful. Next up, Ben Anderson, KSLsports.com. Quinn, you closed the game with Joe Ingles in the rotation. What was – you just kind of into that – what went into that decision-making? Well, we've done that, you know, before. We've closed with different guys. You know, in this case, Joe um, playing pick and roll. Um, His ability to create some off the dribble. They had Draymond on Donovan, obviously, and – um, able to get some other guys off the ball. And, you know, when Joe was in there, he was making some plays. Last question, Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Can I ask because I don't know, but is, is Derek Favors at 100% physically? Because it doesn't seem like he's maybe moving as well as maybe the, the Favors that we, we know from the past time here. No, we, you know, throughout the game, you know, the, there, there's things that um, Favors, you, you saw him on the offensive blast tonight. Um, he was really aggressive and, you know, it's no, no one guy that, you know, we had some struggles with, you know, that, that, that bench lineup during that stretch, but that, that's not any one person. That's all. There's jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. His team uh, struggled, come out with a loss to the Golden State Warriors, 131 to 119. Uh, coming up in the players uh, sound, you're going to hear a lot of talk about defensive struggles. And the Warriors shot 56% from the field against the Jazz yesterday. 51.5% from three, 16 of 31. Just could not get stops. Let's uh, get that postgame sound for you. Let's start off with Donovan Mitchell. Hey, Donovan. We'll have our first question from Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Don. So uh, Golden State tonight, 56% from the field, better than 50% from three. What were they doing so well? And, and what's kind of... You know, is there something you guys are struggling with defensively in these first couple games back? Um, I think it's attention to detail. Understanding that teams are going to come out and uh, 
give us their best shot. You know, they came out hot. They just lost by, I believe, 30 to, to L.A. You know, Steph was animated throughout the game, and their post-game comments, we knew they were going to come out with that energy. Uh, we just got to be ready for it. Um, I think that was – turnovers hurt us. We got four. Somebody else had four. It doesn't matter. But, like, that that hurts, you know, being able to execute. We came back, but, you know – they were determined. We just kept trying to fight, but you know, at the end of the day, they came out and were the aggressor. We didn't respond. Next up, Kristen Kenny, Just TV. John, you told me before Rudy's had these twenty twenty games, but this year there's something different. What are you seeing as the difference there? Um, it's being stronger. You know, just as a whole, finishing, understanding where it needs to be, grabbing the board, the men in the boards. You know, I think that's that's what we see. You know, the hunger for getting fouled and being strong with the ball. Um, he does what he does on the defensive end, but, you know, when we throw it up there, you know, being strong with the understanding guys are going to try and, you know, come and grab it out of his hands. He's keeping the ball high, dunking the ball, um, just taking his that part of his game to another level, and that's what we saw tonight. I think he almost had 30 rebounds. Like, you know, that's that's it's, incre- it's incredible, to be honest, but, you know, um, that's, that's what I would say is the difference. You know, he's being more aggressive, you know, once the contact, finishing through contact, and, you know, you've seen it. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Can you hear me? John, you guys are usually such a good uh, transition defense team. I mean, what is it that's happened the last couple of games that really you guys haven't hard, been as good? It's hard when you turn the ball over. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's the defense. I think it's the turnovers, you know, that, that kill us. Um, you know, that, that hurts. It, it's tough to match up and tough to communicate and all those different things when we're airing passes, um, little things like that. If we take care of the ball, I think that'll definitely help us. Um, but then when we do make a mistake, it's being able to fix it. But when you – how many we have tonight? I mean, we have 14, but, you know, some of them are pivotal. You know, some of them are in big moments and certain stretches that didn't – that compounded. You know, they're hitting tough shots, they're hitting shots, and then you get a turnover. You know, that, that makes it feel like it's – worse than it is and then it affects different things so we take care of the ball I think those things kind of fall into line last question Nicole Tab Deportes Hi Donovan what do you think was the big challenge uh, in the matchup today with the Stephen Curry um, you know, he's, he's tough, you know, he's going to get up, get open look or get looks, you know, we got to be able to limit them. You know, we, he came out, you know, start the game, you know, came out strong and, you know, didn't look back from there. You know, we did a good job of it in the second quarter and part of the third, but, you know, we got to understand that, you know, he is who he is and we got to go out there and try and find ways to limit his attempts, limit his catches. Um, and it definitely helped that other guys were making shots, you know, with Jordan Poole, I think had 20, uh, Kelly Wiggs, everybody was making shots. So, you know, it made it tougher, but, you know, understanding that he's, He's Steph Curry for a reason, and we just got to find ways to, you know, limit his attempts. That's that's the biggest thing if you can, you know, because you know when he gets it, he's such a dynamic player that he's going to do something productive with the ball. So um, he was able to get off and get get in certain actions and, and get his, and that opened up everything else. And then also guys being able to score outside of him definitely helped as well. That was Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Donovan, 24 points, four assists, but did have those four turnovers, and you heard him talking about it. Uh, tough night for Donovan. Uh, let's keep it going. Let's hear from Rudy Gobert. All right, we'll start with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Rudy. So Golden State shoots 56% from the field, better than 50 from three-point range. Uh, what did you guys need to do better defensively tonight? I thought in the, in the first half, uh, our offense really affected our defense. You know, we uh, 
we took a few bad shots, we turned it over a few times, and uh, you know when every, every time we were guarding half court, it was a little harder on them. Um, in the second half, you know, I think uh, I mean obviously Steph, Steph is Steph, uh, but uh, some of these other guys got way too much, you know, easy stuff, and you know we could have done a much much better job guarding it. You know we. I think we're just going to play better defense as a team. You know, teams are just going at us. Um, and we have to realize that, you know, if we don't take pride, you know, uh, on the defensive end, all of us, um, every single game, uh, we don't put ourselves in the best position to win. And when the team, you know, is uh, is going to make shots, you know, maybe if they don't make as many shots, we still win the game. But when, uh, when the team's going to make shots, uh, they're going to be in a position to win. And that's not what we, that's not the team that we want to be. Nicholas Colehuber, Sport 365. Hi, Rudy. Uh, 27 rebounds tonight. It's your uh, season, your career high in NBA. How do you feel about it? I mean, uh, I don't really care, you know, to be honest. Um, there's going to be a lot of nights like this. Uh, for, for me, it's just uh, I thought I could have done a better job defensively uh, on many on many uh, occasions, and uh, you know the rebounds. I mean, some games you're gonna get 20, some games you're gonna get 10, but I think uh, I gotta do a better job uh, defensively. Maxime, the free agent. Uh, I really uh, so you you say in defense, but the the problem is that. Uh, uh, what can you do more personally? You, can, you you can't do anything more, I guess. I mean, I'm always looking for ways uh, and things that I can do better to help my teammates. Uh, obviously, we know we can play. You, it's got to be as a team. We got to play defense as a team. And, uh, you know, I'm going to you know, keep watching film and, uh, you know, keep finding ways to... Uh, help my teammates, you know, and, uh, and you know, we all got to look into the mirror, and, uh, see, uh, you know, uh, what we can do better individually and, uh, and make sure that it fits into, uh, you know, what we're doing collectively. I think we, uh, for the last two games, you know, we, we kind of lost um, our principles defensively, you know, every night is different. Every night we're doing something different and, and a lot of guys don't know, it's hard for a lot of guys to to do uh, to think about doing a lot of different things. So once again, we gotta come back to who we are. You know, come back to what we do best defensively, and uh, and we gotta dictate and not let teams dictate what we do because the the, the greatest teams in in this league are, are the ones that dictate to the other teams and not the opposite. Okay, last one. Follow up from Eric Walden. Rudy, you had mentioned that, uh, especially in the first half, the turnovers kind of led to a lot of transition opportunities for them. What do you guys need to do better specifically to kind of help that transition defense uh, perform more efficiently? I thought every time we, we were moving the ball and just getting off the ball, uh, we were getting great shots. Uh, and uh, even if we miss those shots, we're able to get back in defense because those shots are, are just good shots. You know, all we get to the rim and we get fouled. Um, but when we kind of dribble too much and, and do all that stuff, it's uh, we go back to, I mean, I'd like to see the numbers on this, but I feel like our efficiency goes way down. And, you know, and teams are, kind of, are, are doing a good job at trying to put us in the situation when we, 
we 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 stop moving it, and it's on us to you know keep that that awareness and keep that focus. And you know when we when we're tired or when we, you know things don't go our way, uh, you know keep the emphasis on you know moving the ball and uh, and then when we do that, you know we have a, a lot of great shooters. We have a lot of guys that are great finishing at the rim, and we have a. Uh, two of the best, you know, uh, creators, Donovan and Mike in, in the league. So, you know, when we, when we move the ball and we, and we do that, it's really, really hard to guard and it, it really affects uh, our defense uh, in a positive way. And what we don't, it affects our defense in a negative way. So I think we know it by now, you know, it's just on us to, uh, you know, keep fighting through this and, uh, you know, and, and find ways to not let anybody take us out of our mindset that was Rudy. What a monster day for Rudy in the losing effort. 24 points, 28 rebounds. Eight of those were offensive. He had four block shots and two steals. You know, not that plus minus tells the whole story, but Rudy was plus 11 on a night where the Jazz lost 131 uh, to 119. Let's wrap up player sound with Mike Conley. Hey, Mike. We'll get started with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Mike. Uh, so just to start off with, I guess, simply what was kind of the biggest issue defensively tonight? Um, we had a number of issues tonight. I thought that, um, you know, our rotations were a little slow. Uh, we knew that we were going to be aggressive on Steph's pick and rolls. And, um, and when that ball got moving around for them, they got some easy shots. But more so than anything, it wasn't necessarily a half court. It was our, our ability to, you know, we were turning the ball over and giving them, you know, easy free layups and, and, and free opportunities on the other end in transition. And you know, those, those are backbreakers in games like this where, you know, we're just trying to scratch and claw at everything we can get and trying to find some kind of rhythm. Brian Miller, KSL. Hey, Mike, I just wanted to ask you about this trip, um, just kind of going all around the country. How do you guys go about handling that travel? Um, you know, Day by day right now, we know, we, uh, you know, everybody in this league is, is going to have a, a trip or two that's just unusual. Um, ours is coming up with – we got a six-hour flight tomorrow uh, to Boston. So, um, and it's something that, you know, we just have to take it, you know, like I said, day by day, go in and get our minds right that, you know, we're going to be – some nights we're not going to sleep as well as others. Some some nights we got to go to bed early. Some Sometimes we got to get up a little earlier. So, um just get our minds, our mental, you know, right for, for that kind of uh, travel and, and uh, the competition that's going to come from it. Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Mike, Rudy said that it's on him to set the tone defensively. What have you seen from him as far as that leadership and his? Well, I, I thought Rudy's been, you know, Obviously, you know what he is for us defensively, but his his ability to be vocal and uh, communicate to all of us, especially as guards, uh, gives us the confidence to, to pressure and uh, get in passing lanes and just be more aggressive uh, defensively. And it definitely starts with him and, and his activity and his his leadership vocally. Um, you know, so hopefully we continue to get more of that from him and and uh, each guy individually holds each other, you know, accountable uh, going forward. And we just have to you know, go out there and just be better in all facets defensively. 
There's Mike Conley. Uh, he had 23 points on 8 of 15 shooting. He also had 6 assists, but to no avail. The Jazz lose to the Warriors 131 to 119. Next up, Jazz take on the Celtics uh, coming up tomorrow night on TNT. TNT game. Uh, that game will tip off 530. Pre-game coverage begins at 430. There is the best of the post-game show. When we come back, BYU basketball headed to the NCAA tournament. They're going to play the first round game Saturday night on Channel 2. CBS primetime against UCLA or Michigan State. We will hear from the Cougars next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. BYU is a six seed waiting for the winner of Michigan State and UCLA. For their NCAA tournament debut Saturday night, 7.40 on Channel 2, CBS Primetime. Alex Barcelo, one of the guys that the the Cougars as a team don't have tournament experience because they didn't get to go last year, although they would have been in. Uh, And before that, they hadn't qualified since 2015. But they've actually got four transfers on the team who played in the tournament, including Alex Barcelo. Here he is with the media. Alex, congratulations on uh, being able to play in this tournament. Just a question for you. it's a historical thing. Last year, you guys qualified with a pretty good seed, it looked like, and then there was no tournament. This year, you're in there. Would, should history record this, that you have been in two NCAA tournaments with BYU, even though there was no tournament? How should we mark that up? I mean, I'd love to say yes, um, but really, there's no telling, you know. Maybe put an ashes next to, next to last year's for us. But, uh, man, we're so excited for this opportunity to go shock the world. What's your feelings? Explain them. Super excited, super motivated. Uh, Really, I got a lot of energy flowing through me right now. feel like I got a new pair of legs right now. Um, Just so excited for this opportunity. I think think we're going to shock a lot of people, and I know we're going to be ready to play. Alex, when you transferred here and and committed to Mark Pope, was this what you envisioned, being in these stages and and playing with the chance to to play for – you know, the, and March Madness. Definitely, for sure. You know, um, one thing that stuck out to me about Pope on my official and when he was recruiting me was just he, wa- he wanted to play the best. I mean, he wanted to see what his, t- his team was made of, what his coaches were made of, what his players were made of, and uh, that's exactly what we've been doing, and I'm, I'm just so excited for this. How do you feel the experience you guys have accumulated this year of prepping for a team on short notice. It feels like you've had that experience many times. How can that maybe help you when you're waiting for the winner of the first four matchup? Uh, I think it can help us a lot. You know, after the selection show, we went in the locker room and kind of joked about it. It's, it's what we've done all year, you know, on short notice, we've had a scout for really good teams. And that's exactly what we're going to do with this Michigan state UCLA game, both really great, great teams um, play at a high level. And uh, you know, we're going to be as prepared as we can. Go ahead, Darnell, and then Jeff Call. Alex, last year uh, the feeling was was pretty desolate coming out with no Selection Sunday and no NCAA tournament. Can you contrast how you're feeling now with what that was like? Night and day, uh, if I can word that perfectly. 
Um, that's exactly how my feelings were today. Just, uh, man, it, it was so exciting seeing our name pop up and, um, you know, seeing it pop up next to six was unbelievable. And, uh, like I said before, we're just so grateful and really excited for this opportunity. You just go shock a lot of, a lot of people. Alex, uh, what does it mean to you to play on a team that this will be coach Pope's first NCAA tournament experience as a head coach. Uh, what does that mean to you to know you'll be, you know, enjoying that experience with him? It means everything, you know, um, only we know how hard it was to get to this point, how hard we had to work and, uh, the ups and downs that we had throughout the season. Um, it, it kind of, it means everything to me. Um, the fact that he had the, the trust, um, and belief in me to, to come here and to play at this high level. And then the vision that he had for my career personally and the vision he had for our entire team, uh, it, mean, it means a lot to me as, a, as an individual. And I know it means a lot to our team. And uh, we're, we're going to do everything we can to take coach and, and our team as far as we can. What was your reaction when you saw the uh, matchup against either UCLA or Michigan State? What do you know about those two teams at this point? Motivated. We know they're they, – both really great teams. Um, you know, they're really well coached. Um, you know, they're fast paced team. Uh, we, we were kind of in practice last, uh, last few days, kind of guessing the matchups that we've had and that we would have, uh, today. And one of the teams was Michigan state, you know, just playing as physical as we can, um, garden in transition and trying to crash the boards as hard as we can. So, uh, we, we know, you know, every, every game's going to be a battle, but we're, we're, we're ready for it. Go, let's go, uh, Sean and then Jake. Yeah, Alex, you've, uh, you've spoken pretty openly with us. And then I, I remember that deep blue feature you did with BYU TV a few weeks back about how, how BYU kind of brought you back and, and sort of helped you to sort of bring back. Do you feel like this bid I mean, it's the first tournament for BYU in, in five years, I think. Do you feel like this kind of helps give back a little bit what BYU has given to you, maybe? Definitely, for sure. Um, you know, I'd say 100%. Uh, I want to – when I committed here, I, I told myself and I told the coaching staff I was going to pour my heart out uh, to this university and, you know, try to repay them for that belief they've had in me and the trust that they had in me. And uh, I'm so excited to, to wear that – Brigham Young on the front of our jerseys and, you know, carry that name throughout this tournament. Alex, with you guys heading to Indiana, obviously you guys are going to be holed up in that hotel. You had any thought of what you're going to do to spend the time, pass the time, I guess? Uh, well, first and foremost, we're going to try to stay on top of our studies, um, you know, make sure that, that we're all getting uh, as good a grades as we can, um, go, you know, having study hall and in the books and then we're gonna we're gonna try and play a couple games once we get out of our quarantine for the first day day and a half and uh try to have some fun with it i know we talked about a couple things like hide and go seek uh, throughout the entire hall or laser tag or you know mario kart wh whatever it is i know we're gonna we're gonna have some pretty crazy ideas and, and we're gonna have fun with it and obviously you guys have been working so hard for this it, to know that it's so close now, obviously you still got to get through all this testing and everything throughout the rest of this coming week and everything, but does it feel good to finally be at this point? Definitely for sure. But like you said, we got, we got a couple more tests that we need to pass and 
Um, we're just going to, we're in lockdown right now and we're just, we're just trying to be as mature as we can and not, not catch COVID and just continue, continue to battle against this adversity. Okay. Uh, last question, Mitch, and then we'll get to coach. Yeah, Alex, what gives you and your teammates confidence that you guys could potentially make a run in this tournament? The way we play, how much growth we've had throughout the season. You know, we've been in a lot of games where um, it's played out either way for us. It's played out really well for us um, in games like San Diego State. It hasn't played out so well for us like our our last game against Gonzaga. But uh, just being able to, to fight throughout the entire 40 minutes of each game um, whether it's close, whether it's a blowout, or you know whether we're down, um, I think that's helped us a lot throughout this season with our growth, and I think it's going to help us a lot throughout this tournament because we know every game is going to be, you know, it's win or go home now, so it's going to be a war. There's Alex Barcelo. He's got tournament experience. Now this will be Mark Pope's first game as a coach in the NCAA tournament, but he played in Kentucky in the glory days, so he knows all about NCAA tournament games. Here's Mark Pope. I mean, how fun is March, right? It's um, it's on now, guys, and so. These guys work really hard to have a chance to be here, and we're really excited about it. Okay, uh, Dick, if you want to ask the first question, let's go to PK, Jake, Mitch, and then Darnell. Yeah, Coach, I was asking some of the players, uh, especially Alex, uh, you guys qualified last year with a pretty good seed, but then you didn't get to play. Should we be counting in, in history that you, you're two for two going to the NCAA tournament? I, I don't know. I mean, that's, you know, that's, I'm not sure. I do know that, um, I do know that we've had an incredible sense of urgency all season long, not just to, not just to, um, to, to play well and grow together as a team, but also just the last, you know, the last week, even more heightened than ever with Kansas and Virginia and seeing the, and, you know, seeing these teams go away. Uh, you know, we've had, um, you know, we've been just doing everything we can to stay healthy. I, I do think that, you know, be, because of what happened last year, we just have this incredible sense of urgency to to stay healthy and to and to play well. And I think we also have an unbelievable amount of gratitude for the opportunity we have to do this. Um, right before uh, we met on the court, um, Alex and the staff and I uh, jumped on a Zoom call with all seven of our seniors from last year. And um, we keep in close touch with them, but I just wanted to hit them up today and um, recognize um, that, that, you know, they laid their own foundation for us to have this opportunity this year and, and how much a part of this they are. They taught us how to lead and they taught us how to sacrifice for each other and they taught us how to compete. And um, so I, I don't know about any consideration like that. I just know that, um, you know, this is, this is, been a long winding story to finally get a chance to play in the postseason. And I know our guys right now are so grateful. And I know our guys that missed out on it last year are, are also super grateful and cheering for us. And so um, we're just excited. I mean, we're grateful for this opportunity. Coach, going back from your days in Kentucky, as you know, the great programs in this country in college basketball, they're defined by success in the NCAA tournament. Now, this will be your first appearance. You probably would have made it last year. But is that a level that you want your program going forward to be defined by success in the NCAA tournament? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that you are. You know, I, listen, I think I think you're going to be defined by everything, right? You're going to be defined by, you know, how you recruit. You're going to be defined by what your regular season's like, what your non-conference is like, and what your postseason like. And and um, they all kind of go together. I, I think that, um, you know, uh, this is this is this is the most um, momentarily recognizable part of any program's production is right here in the tournament. I mean, this one shining moment, right? Stan frozen. Um, you know, I got to live through this as a player and it is, you have moments in this tournament because the whole world is paying attention in that moment, um, that people can remember forever, uh, not just BYU Cougar fans, but, but the world. Right. And so, um, certainly, uh, you know, all of our guys are so excited to, have a chance to take a big swing at this and, 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 and to leave their mark on this hallowed NCAA tournament experience. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a huge deal. And I think, um, you know, every, you know, we're always going to be evaluated by everything, but this is certainly a huge slice of that. Thank you. Go ahead, Jake. And then Mitch. Coach, you guys are here on the doorstep finally of just making it to the NCAA tournament. What are your guys' uh, plans for when you guys are in the bubble there and how to pass the time, et cetera? Yeah, we've been talking about a lot, uh, talking about a lot, a lot about that. So the first thing is we got to get on this plane tomorrow. You know, we we, we passed our test again today. Uh, I think I, I think we have to take one right before we leave or right when we get there tomorrow. So we just got to get to the bubble. That's that's my biggest sense of urgency. Um, you know, like I said, when, you know, when, when we found out that I can't remember how it was, it was Duke the day before. And then it was, it was Virginia and then Kansas back to back. And I'm telling you guys, I had some PTSD, PTSD, like it, it you know, it, it was like, there's no way that we're going to miss this thing. And then 12 hours later, the whole thing was shut down. Right. And so we just got to get on this plane first. And then once we get to the bubble, you know me, guys. We've thought of all kind of ridiculously stupid stuff that we're going to be doing this bubble. You think about it. You got these, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds. Um, we're going to be quarantined in our room for probably 24 hours, where you can't even leave your room. You're stuck in your room by yourself. And um, and then uh, you know, and then and then essentially for the next five days, we're going to be in the hotel. The only time we can leave uh, our floor is to is to go to practice for an hour and 50 minutes to go to lift for 45 minutes and then the time we have in our meeting space. And so these guys are going to be really, really quarantined. Uh, I imagine they'll get stir crazy. So, so we got a lot of us, a lot of things planned that hopefully you'll see registering um, some interest on social media. I'll just tease you. I'll just tease you with that. All right. And then I also wanted to ask you, you got either Mick Cronin or Tom Izzo, who you'll be facing in this game. Thoughts on facing two of the like, legendary figures in this sport. Yeah, you know what? I, I mean, come on. There are two of the best coaches to ever coach this game in college basketball. And, and uh, what's actually fun about it is um, we were together at Maui last year. Um, it was Mick's first year, and it was, it was coaches of, I don't know, was, you know, but um, both those guys, legendary status, and, and they're both such extraordinary coaches, and they're both such great human beings. And so, I mean, if you're going to go play in the NCAA tournament, you probably want to have Michigan State and UCLA right there, uh, you know, get a chance to play one of them. And um, so that's incredibly exciting. And you shouldn't ask for any more. Mark, what did you think of 
your program receiving a six seed? Do you feel like that was the appropriate seed for the resume you guys built? Um, it's so hard to tell what is appropriate. I think we thought we were going to be somewhere from a six to an eight um, is what we're anticipating. So, you know, we, we knew after the first, after the first bracket, um, we knew that we were not going to be up till the fourth. So I'm not going to lie. When the eight, nine went by, I was really excited. I was, I was super happy when the eight, nine went by, they go one sixteen and then eight, nine and move down the row. And then, you know, they did the, they did that group and they did the bottom half of that, that East bracket. And, and we were thinking, man, let us be the first name called cause that's the six. And sure enough, it worked out that way. And the only thing that made it better was it were the six and, and we get to play a playing game with UCLA and Michigan state. Right. And so, um, ironically perfectly fit in, in the COVID world. We don't know who we're preparing for. We're going to prepare for two teams all week long, but that's exactly what it seems like we've done all season long. So our guys kind of laugh about that and that's how it fits. You know, this NCAA tournament, man, you know, you, you get a chance to get in and then, and then you just put your whole heart and soul into trying to steal a moment. And that's what we're going to try and do. And, you want the drama and you want the names and you want the, you know, you want the whole deal. And, and we're going to get our full, full share of that. It's pretty awesome. There's BYU basketball coach, Mark Pope. We are going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending more on the NCAA tournament, more on the NBA jazz. Weren't the only team in the West to lose. There's some shocking scores. We'll get to that coming up. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Draymond Green, top of the key, finds Curry. Turns, fires, and hits a three and got fouled by Mike Conley. He's going for a four-point play. Draymond brings it up on the jaw. Crosses midcourt down to four seconds, three seconds. Draymond goes all the way in and dunked it. They caught Gobert outside, and Draymond took it right to the rack. Two seconds to go. Right side, Curry. Pump fake, flyby, three ball. Around and down for Curry. Here comes Curry, right down Broadway. Teardrop over Gobert. Crawls over the rim and drop through. And there are the highlights as the Golden State Warriors use a 15-0 run in the first quarter to build a big lead. Jazz get within a point, but the Warriors pull away and get the win, 131-119. to Jazz 1-1 one one after the break, 4-5 and five in the last nine. And PK, a lot of what we saw at the end of the Houston game, we continued to see during the Warrior game. Not a lot of stops. Turnovers leading to fast breaks. Whenever the Warriors seemed to hit a lull, there seemed to be an easy two points to get them going again. Uh, sure. Fast break points for the Warriors were 19 points. I think the shooting from the three also. Yeah, they uh, the buried him there with 51% from three. And then with uh, like a four or five point lead late in the game, they got three real quick. One of them from Curry, but not all of them. Other guys hit shots too. But Curry, six of nine. Quinn mentioned that in the Post game that we just heard about half an hour ago, 40 minutes ago, uh, you know, they had a game plan to deny him the ball, and Quinn was clearly not happy that he got nine attempts. Regardless of how many he made, the nine attempts was not what they were going for. No, they were not. And there you go. Rudy Gobert, franchise record for rebounds with 28 in the loss. 
But that just becomes a footnote in a defeat as the Jazz drop to 28-10. and 10. Jazz in Boston to play the Celtics tomorrow on TNT. We'll have more on the Jazz coming up. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Shea, snaking right in the lane, arcs a fadeaway. 13-foot jumper and rips the cores. Boy, Gildas Alexander loves moments like this among the best clutch players in basketball as 23. And can't try to do too much here. He's working against Gary Trent. He steps back, left side three on the way, and he hits. How about that for an answer? Oh, and he's got words for Gary Trent Jr. coming back down the floor. Tatum wants to walk the dog here. Tough angle on the entry pass. Tatum has it now, exposes the ball. It's knocked away. Tatum has it back across half court, launches a deep three, and he hits it. Lonzo Ball with a steal. Bad bounce pass from George. Alley-oop! Bledsoe see. Thunder! Thunder! From the rafters! Thundercat! Highlights from around the NBA. The Clippers getting beat by 20 in New Orleans. The Pelicans. 135 points. That is a huge total. And the Clippers, they had Kawhi Leonard. They had Paul George. They largely had their guys there, PK. What happened? Uh, well, Charles Smith isn't walking through that door. There it is. The Charles Smith. <laughs> also, the Blazers got beat. So three of the top six teams in the West played Sunday, and three of the top six in the West went down. Minnesota beat Portland 114-112. to Anthony Edwards, a career-high 34 points in the win. Not a real impressive performance there by the top of the conference. It was a rough weekend with the Suns losing Saturday. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying last night on my swan song, that the situation with the Jazz, everybody else is losing. So as far as them getting the number one seed with Anthony Davis still being at least two weeks away, which obviously brings us into April, that I don't know that the teams are going to catch the Jazz, even if the Jazz come nowhere near playing or replicating what they did in the first half. That may well be true. Uh, Larry the Laker is already up and tweeting from the basement this morning. Uh, Locke has the bad uh, stretch for multiple teams in the West, and Larry points out, yeah, and all those teams are healthy, except for the Lakers. The Lakers are missing, guys. The Clippers aren't. The Jazz aren't. And they are all just piling up the losses at a rate you would expect a a ninth-place team or seventh-place team or something to play out, not teams, you know, one, two, three, four. Yeah, I doubt Larry the Laker is already up. I think it's from last night. <laughs> Boston beat Houston 134-107. Jason Tatum, 23 points in Boston's route. Celtics will host the Jazz, and they'll be coming off a win when they meet on Tuesday. Also, the Sixers, 134-99 over the Spurs. Tobias Harris with 23 points to lead the way for Philadelphia. And dozens of members of the Pelicans organization, including multiple players, received their first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine over the weekend. The athletes eligible due to their having a body mass index of over 25. It's a criterion many NBA players hit despite being pro athletes. So the league doesn't want to tell players to get the vaccine. We'll see how many do and if that slows the, uh, the number of suspended games we see and how that'll play out going forward. Well, all the league. Forget about the league. It's what LeBron says. LeBron will tell him to get vaccinated or not, and then everyone will do it or not. LeBron's our leader. LeBron. Whatever he says, we fall in line. DJ and PK.
Hashtag college basketball. You know, we've been just doing everything we can to stay healthy. I, I do think that because of what happened last year, we just have this incredible sense of urgency to, to stay healthy and to, and to play well. And I think we also have an unbelievable amount of gratitude for the opportunity we have to do this. This has been a long, winding story to finally get a chance to play in the postseason. And I know our guys right now are so grateful. And I know our guys that missed out on it last year are also super grateful and cheering for us. And so we're just excited. I mean, we're grateful for this opportunity. There's Mark Pope, BYU coach, talking about his Cougars, who are a sixth seed and get either UCLA or Michigan State. Those two meet Thursday in a first four game, and then BYU will play the winner of that game Saturday for Saturday at 7.40, right in prime time. Chance to get a win, PK, and there haven't been a lot of those over the last 25 years. Three with Jimmer, but not much else. So a big opportunity for the Cougars, who are seeded as the favorite. It is the sixth seed. Yeah, I don't know what the odds will be once that comes out. I'm assuming Michigan State wins. That's who I would bet on. Michigan State having beaten two number one seeds. Uh, Bruins are just not playing well, and they've got two of their guys out. So I would think that Michigan State would get that. And then it sets it up for BYU. And, and I, I'm, gonna, I'm writing about this. It will be posted tomorrow at KSL.com. I'm so glad I'm free to say KSL.com night, night, night right now. Um that's where my stories are as our website continues to go uh, reconstruction. But this is their time, man. I mean, what Pope, more Pope said, you can say that about every team in the country, about being grateful and excited and doing everything they can to avoid COVID. I don't think that's unique. But this is Mark Pope's opportunity to really separate himself because doing what he's doing is great. And he's rejuvenated and re-energized the team. There's no question about that. But you got to win in the NCAA tournament. And we'll see if he can do that because that's what matters, especially now that you're in the West Coast Conference. Being second in the West Coast Conference is no big deal. It just isn't. It means you've lost to Gonzaga and you beat Pepperdine and Loyola Marymount and San Diego, and I realize he didn't play them this year, and Pacific and Portland. Whoop-de-doo. Yeah, we're going on a decade of this now. Gonzaga wins the lead. BYU and St. Mary's fights for second and third, and then there's everybody else. And, and you've, you've overcome St. Mary's. You've, you're two for two in finishing second. You're two for two in going to the tournament. Obviously, they didn't have it last year, but they would have gone. So now's your chance, man. This is a great opportunity. They've seeded you to win, and here's the thing that you can do, because they haven't had a win at this round since Jimmer. I think they won two playing games, right? But I don't think they've won. They have not won in the field of 64. You are correct. Yeah. They won in the yeah. And this is a great opportunity to really show us what you're doing with the program. You can have the best locker room in America, but you got to win in the NCAA tournament. And he knows that, saying nothing that he does not know already. Well, he's a, Mark Polk's a Kentucky guy as a player, so he knows all about the tournament. It's his first trip as a head coach, but he's got plenty of experience with the tournament. Utah State is in as an 11 seed. They're taking on six-seeded Texas Tech. And that game's Friday at 1145 on TNT. The Aggies, for all the, uh, for all the stress about in, are they in or are they out? And uh, not only were they in, they were well in. They avoid the first four. So, I didn't teams. see there was any stress. 
Two teams from the Mountain West are in, CSU and Boise State didn't make That's it. That's why I don't pay attention to that. You obsess over Joel Lenardi and these guys. To me, the Mountain West is going to get two teams. Every year they're going to get two teams. And it was clear that the second team was going to be the loser of that game on Saturday. It was so overwhelmingly obvious to me that that's what it was going to be. And the Aggies won it convincingly, so they're in. The West not really seeded with the exception of Gonzaga, who's number one seed, and everyone's going to pick them to the Final Four, and many people will pick them to win the, uh, the title. But after Gonzaga, Colorado, the next best seed at five, you got, uh, you got anybody you think can get to the Sweet 16? USC's a six, Oregon's a, a seven. Anybody you like? Your Grand, uh, your Grand Canyon, one of your many schools, a 15 seed. My Gauchos are a 12. Anybody out of the West? I think SC has the talent to. I don't know if they will. Six seed, they're waiting for the winner of a uh, first four game two, either Drake or Wichita State. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. After 15 years in the Saints and 20 years in the NFL, our dad is finally going to retire. So we can spend more time with us. Drew Brees with that post on social media. His kid's announcing he's done. He waited for the date that was the anniversary of him signing in New Orleans. So he's out. And now we can see if the Saints are going to cut a deal for Russell Wilson. Five months of offseason isn't enough time, kids. No. (laughs) Twelve months a year. Drew Brees will now drive the carpool. He already announced he's going to NBC Sports this morning. Well, Yeah, yeah, that was already planned. Uh, yeah. they, they were advertising that, uh, what, during the golf yes, yesterday, uh, watching the players. I mean, they'd already had it set up that Drew Brees was going to be on this morning. So it was clear it was orchestrated. My father worked two jobs my whole life, and I got to listen to these kids who will never have to worry a, di- a day in their life about anything financial, and they'll get to spend more time with their kid, his, their dad. Yay. Oh, my gosh. Taysom Hill received a restructured four-year, $140 million contract yesterday from the Saints. But all four years will be voided. His cap hit will drop to $8.4 million from $16 million this season, creating more room if they were to bring in an all-pro quarterback with a Super Bowl ring. So you think they're trading for Russell Wilson? No, I want to see if they will, but he's won. (laughs) He had four teams uh, on his list, and the Saints were one of them. And the Cowboys were one of them, and the Cowboys gave the money to Prescott, so Dak Prescott. So now he's got three teams on his list. So I don't know it'll happen, but it does look like it's being set up for them to go get somebody. And maybe it'll be somebody else. So you don't think Jason Hill has a snowball's chance to be the starting quarterback? I think the Saints are looking like they want to make a move, but he could be if they don't make the move. But I think they're clearly looking like they want to. So he's option number two at best. Yes. I think that's true. Okay. Green Bay Packers got an agreement. They're keeping running back Aaron Jones on a four-year $48 million deal. So he is staying put. And there should be a lot more NFL news over the next couple days because it's now legal to talk to, or it's by the rules. It's not illegal, but legal tampering NFL rules. Yeah, so, of course... People have probably been talking anyway. But now it's okay for them to talk. And then the new league year starts on Wednesday. 
And we'll probably hear a lot about deals and trades being officially completed at that point. But if you love the if you love the offseason for the NFL, this is when it really gets going. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. College football, Dixie State lost big, Cal Poly won on the road, and Weber State down 10, second-ranked. Southern Utah won on the road. Excuse me, Southern Utah won on the road at Cal Poly, 34-24. Weber State ranked number two, beat UC Davis, I think they were ranked like 23. So, that was a big test for Weber State as we wait to see if they can get through the six-game regular season and get a high seed in the playoffs. A little tense there for a while, PK. They finally got the offense going in the third quarter, Jay Hill. Going for it on fourth and one in his own end of the field in the third quarter, down 10. Big play to swing the momentum. Whew. They beat Dan Hawkins. Hit him, brother! And they get the win. They're off for two weeks. They play NIU at home, or NAU at home. New Florida State quarterback Mackenzie Milton says he's feeling confident after his first practices with the Seminoles after transferring UCF as he seeks to return from a devastating knee injury. He hasn't been able to play the last two years, dislocating his right knee and suffering ligament, nerve, and artery damage during the game with USF. He's been out ever since. See if he can come back. And we will talk spring football with the Utes. You got questions for Kyle Whittingham, for Andy Ludwig, Utah quarterbacks. Running out some big names here in the first spring football media availability today at 8 o'clock, live here on The Zone. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Clayton Kershaw will make his 11th opening day start for the Dodgers on April 1st, barring anything unforeseen, according to manager Dave Roberts. How many guys in the Dodger rotation are worthy of getting an opening day start? I mean, the Dodgers can only start one of them, but if if guys were on other clubs, how many guys do you look at and think, yeah, he's an opening day starter? I think three for sure. I wouldn't put Price up there anymore, but I certainly would go with Bueller and Bauer. Oh, that's awfully good, isn't it? Three guys who are and one guy who used to be an opening day starter? Well, funny, the one who isn't, I don't think he is better than the other two, but I think he's getting it based on the seniority and the run that he's had. Meaning, I think the other two guys are better than right. Him right Kershaw's now. no longer the Dodgers' number one starter. He's probably their number three starter, but he could be a number one for a lot of teams. And because he's been a Dodger all these years, he's the guy. Right. So it is somewhat ceremonial, although it's not like he's been left out for pasture. <laughs> right. And he's going to guarantee to get hammered, like I told you, Zach Greinke was a couple years ago. Yankees manager Aaron Boone said he's feeling awesome two weeks after having a pacemaker inserted. Boone missed three spring training games while undergoing the procedure. And that makes me nervous, man. Right? He just turned 48 last week. Yeah. And if he's feeling awesome, it's because the blood is pumping again, which says what was going on before the pacemaker. I know. Yikes. So he got that at 47. All right. About to turn 48. So basically 48. Man. That's a little scary. Arizona Diamondbacks first base coach Dave McKay suffered a broken rib and lacerated spleen in a fall in the dugout last week. That's no good. Diamond manager Troy Lovello said the 30-year-old McKay was wearing a new pair 30, of shoes. 71. 71. Wearing a new pair of shoes, tripped on the bottom step of the dugout, fell against the bench during a game with the Giants. Expected to miss about a week before he returns. He'll be back. He'll be back opening day. He'll be back when it matters. There you go. <laughs> 
What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. I have a little baseball thing for you. What do you got? Tatis Jr. Uh-huh. FT2, as I'm calling him. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. He gets on. I'm watching the game the other day against the Diamondbacks. He gets on base, infield single. Then... Ball, next batter, and he's leading off. Next batter hits one off the pitcher. Ricochets to second, the second baseman coming in towards the pitching man. We've seen that from time to time, right? And then he has to throw a little underhand, make an underhand throw to first base. They get the runner. They get the runner. But Tatis goes all the way to third. Then Machado's up. He hits a pop-up. A pop-up that is into short center, the second baseman who, of course, is in the shift, so he's on the uh, left side of the bag. He's in short center, extended infield, makes the catch, Tatis scores on a sack fly. The guy is the most exciting player we have in the big leagues today. The, uh, he, they score a run on balls that weren't hit a combined 300 feet. Amazing. I was not watching when it happened, but I saw the Padres' Twitter feed, so I saw it, and when he hit the bag at sink and went for third, there was an ever-so-slight, just bare moment of hesitation as he peeked over his shoulder, but you could tell that was just to confirm what he was already thinking about going from first to second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it to third here. And, and there was a, just a, maybe just the slightest bit of hesitation, but... He's done it before. He'll do it again, and he knew on that play he wanted third. He wanted third base, and he was going for it. FT two, FT two, flying around the bases, making something out of nothing. Who plays small ball anymore? Amazing. FT two, all by himself, not the Padres as a whole, but FT two individually. We'll try to do it. All right, coming up, college football, Kyle Whittingham, Utah Spring Ball, 8 o'clock. Andy Lugwood and the quarterback scheduled to speak today. We will hear from them. 9 o'clock, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Question of the day coming up next, DJ and PK. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Tell you what. If anybody has a problem on their mind, call in today. And Austin will play the role of the... Uh, Receptionist. <laughs> Are you and, eating? Yeah, sorry. I, uh, I really wanted to see if I could eat this on the air without you noticing. Sounds like you're eating a peanut butter cupcake. <laughs> There's no way you were going to hide that. Do you know what it is? Disrespectful. <laughs> Rude. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> this was a piece of caramel. You ate a piece of caramel and didn't think we'd notice? <laughs> I wanted to see if you would, just for fun. It wasn't, and we did. <laughs> Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes Your Toast, brought to you by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. Right now, you can get up to $6,000 in purchase allowance on the XT lineup. Experience the luxury you deserve by booking a test drive today. All right, we got multiple questions. We'll get to part two in college hoops in the NCAA tournament coming up in the next segment. But right now, focus on the Utah Jazz. The Jazz losing to the Warriors. What is up with that? Corey said turnovers. And the Warriors seem to hit every three. Rick said it seemed like every time Bogey touched the ball, he turned it over. Terrible game. 
Okay, had four turnovers in this one. So did Mitchell and Joe Ingles had three. Well, I can understand Mitchell and Ingles because they... They run more pick and rolls. Yeah, I mean, they they have the ball a lot more. Uh, The Majerus used to break down turnovers by position. And, and like, if if Van Horn ever had four, he would go nuts. Of course, he loved to get on Keith. That's the way it worked, you know, where much is given, much is expected type deal. And that's where Bogdanovich is. He doesn't have nearly as many assists or handle the ball as much to justify four turnovers. And two of them came right off the bat to give the Warriors life right from the start. He's not consistently playing well. He's not matching last season at all, really. Yeah, I don't think he's come anywhere close occasionally. But without looking at numbers, and I'll let you nerds do that, it doesn't look like to me the eyeball test that he's as consistent as he was last year, and he's hurting the ball club because they got other guys that can really help them. Yak, look at his numbers. He was talking to you. I'm talking to everybody who wants to look at the numbers. I mean, they want to look at the numbers, fine. Yeah, you can feel it, but you can feel it watching the games. He's not having as big an impact as he did. And Gwen says, I'm worried about Bogey. I feel like he shouldn't have been in at the end of the game. Donovan wasn't great either. I don't think he was in. Didn't they have Joe in? Joe Ingles got to play a lot of fourth quarter Joe minutes. Joe closed the game. Yeah. Yep. And Quinn and got asked about that. that. Quinn asked about that. And he said, we've used Joe to close other games. So. I thought they should have used him in Philly. Yeah. Because he had it going on against Philly, and he didn't play the last regulation portion, and then he didn't play it all in overtime, if I remember correctly. And Tobias Harris ate Bogdanovich's lunch. And I thought it was a mistake. And that's what I'm paid to do, second guess. And I thought that was a mistake. So I was glad to see that Ingles was in there. Because right now, I don't think there's any doubt that Ingles is playing individually, playing better than Bogdanovich is. But they still had their chances in the fourth quarter, and they got within a point, and that lineup didn't do it either. Uh, Honestly, Chowder says here, uh, honestly, Chowder Martinez, honestly, it's the same way they started the season. Slow, behind teams, random as bleep. But they'll get it together again. No worries. It's a little more confidence than we're getting from most people on the Facebook page this morning. Did he swear on our Facebook page? Uh, he did not. He abbreviated Uh-oh. it. It's a common way to do it so that the censors don't uh, you know, sideline your account. Well, I don't think Facebook would do that. I think that I'm the censor. I mean, depending on which side of the aisle you're on, Facebook is known to censor. But I don't think they censor foul language like that. Scott says Snyder is too stubborn with his rotations. He sticks with the same rotations at the same point in every game, regardless of matchups. He killed a few different momentum swings that Jazz were starting by subbing out the hot hand. And they're in first place. <laughs> There's that. Thing is, if you go the hot hand and give a guy a lot of minutes, then coaches worry that A, the guy they don't put in, um, his level is going to suffer, and that they're going to wear out the guy they do put in. And they worry about that in years when there's more off time. There's less off time this year. Play a guy big minutes. How's he going to be in the next game? Most coaches tend to stick to their rotations. It seems like that's the way the NBA's trended. A little less riding the hot hand. Sometimes coaches do it. and I get that, generally speaking. But I think there are times when someone is 6 for 7 and the other guy is 2 for 10. Ride him for a couple more minutes. and And he can't play defense. As Philadelphia, and I don't think Doc Rivers is some genius of a coach, but figured out, let's just go right at him. Tobias Harris, you're our guy. In a game in which Embiid 
was just all that. And they did, just ignored Embiid in overtime and went right at uh, Bogdanovich. So I think in sometimes, I don't think you can just go by your book, whatever your book individually says, at all times. And I think in that situation against Philadelphia, I would have liked to have seen a change. I don't know that yesterday, well, they did change it and it didn't make a difference. Um, the Warriors shooting 50%, 51% from three is going to be tough to overcome. Josh says, stop turning the freaking ball over. <laughs> if only it were that simple. Yeah, the turnovers actually were even, though. It wasn't the number. It was what Donovan said. It was the timing. You know, they, they got close, and then and they, had, and they were defending, too, it, it, in stretches. And then they had a turnover, and the Warriors get an easy break. And it was just, that happened a couple times in the fourth quarter. It was just so, the, the timing was just brutal. But it wasn't that I, I was surprised, and you can see Donovan was surprised when he looked at the box score because he did it on camera in the post game. He's like, "We had," he goes, "No, oh, we only had 14. They yeah, each but it had was the 14, t- and they yeah. each had 19 points off of turnovers. So obviously, that's dead even. I think that if you're looking statistically, if you're just going on numbers, which I don't think you can ever do, but if you're just going on numbers, it was the three-point shooting, yep. 51 percent versus 34 percent. And I think the timing of those was really good, too. The Warriors, and they had different guys hitting threes in the fourth quarter, and the Jazz were right there you know, 10 minutes ago, seven minutes ago. But, and, and that was basically how the Warriors got their points in that stretch of the game. They got some turnovers, and they got uh, you know, one-on-none, somebody all by himself for a layup or a dunk, and then they hit threes on multiple possessions in a row. And some of them were really good, were just really wide open. I mean, it... How it got screwed up to get to that point, you know, that's, I guess, what they'll spend their time today going back and looking at who, who didn't rotate where when they were supposed to. But some of those shots were wide open. I wonder what the stats would say in today's NBA where most teams, I think, are shooting at least 33s in a game. That doesn't seem like an outrageous number anymore, right? So let's use 30 as the standard. You attempt 33s and you make at least 15 of them, I wonder what their one-loss record is. Probably very good. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't tell you if it's you know, 65%, 75%, or whatever, but those are numbers that you're hoping to hit. And right. You know, you're right about the attempts. 30 is just, that's not a big deal to look at a box score and see somebody with 30. No, I don't think so. The, the Jazz number has been, you know, try to get to 40. And I think mm-hmm, they've actually, right. I'd have to check recently, but I think they've been averaging like 42 threes. And they shoot in the high 30%. But there's plenty of teams shooting in that uh, 33, 35% range. So maybe, and I'm not, not completely, not, I'm not saying completely, but maybe uh, write it off to the Warriors being extremely hot from behind the line. And rather than dissect it a thousand ways and think this team's in a big-time slump and it's going to come crashing down and this is who they are and over any 10-game stretch the rest of the way, they're going to be battling to be 5-5. Five and five. Well, you have to write some of them off because they're not going 21 out of 22 again because they would be setting all kinds of NBA records if they did that. So, you know, can they go 7 out of 10? Uh, 
six out of ten and win sixty five percent of the games, you win two thirds of your game. You figure you're gonna have some six out of ten and seven out of ten runs here. But I think it's. Um, and this is where you're right to crack on the numbers, to go beyond the numbers, because sometimes guys get open shots and they just miss them. So you didn't right. play great defense. They just right. missed the shot. Right. Um, and at the same time, you could be right on somebody, and if they throw it in, they throw it in. What are you going to do? So I think you got to go back what and look do? at those yeah. 31 threes and say, how often did they run the offense, move the ball to exactly the spot they wanted and get the guy the shot they wanted, and he was open. He had a little separation. Because that's a better measure of good or bad defense as opposed to the numbers. I mean, over time, guys are going to make fewer contested threes, and they're going to make more open threes. But, you know, if you're going into one of these games, especially just one game here with the Warriors and the 15 they made, how often, I mean, Quinn in his postgame, and we ran it last night, said, you know, they had a game plan on how to keep the ball away from Steph, and he was not happy that Steph got nine attempts. He didn't go to the six makes. He went to the nine attempts. You know, because I you can't don't, really I don't control think he beat Steph. You, though. Well, he certainly didn't by himself. I mean, he made six, so there were I mean, you, there were nine other threes by guys who are Wiggins kind goes of guys. ten of six, twelve of sixteen. Okay, that's bothersome. What really is bothersome is three bench guys. Mm-hmm. Paschal, 4 of 6, Wiseman, 8 and 11, 8 of 11, and then Poole, 6 of 11. Yeah. And Pascal that's, had, that's bothersome. And Pascal had one in that run of those key threes that blew the game open in the final you know, five minutes, whatever it was, and his three was wide open. He was all alone. Somebody messed up. And maybe well, more than one person messed up, but yeah, somebody had to have messed shot up. And he made it, yeah. Yeah, he and was wide guys, open. And four of six, uh, they went. Uh, four of seven, Wiseman, he's not really a three-point shooter. And then Wiggum's three of four. So these, at best, average guys, although I like Wiseman, I really think he's going to develop. I mean, he's still in diapers as far as the <laughs> NBA goes. You, know you should I mean? have to play your rookie year in diapers. I mean, Good it, visual. It, when you're that young, he didn't even play three college games and he had the the eligibility issue with Memphis uh, last year. But I do like him. Uh, and he missed a drug test uh, over the break, and so they benched him to an extent in the first game, and they moved him out of the starting lineup. He looks like he's going to be a player uh, down the line, but you got to give him some time to develop. But that was a very nice game for him. But Jordan Poole, he was in the G League a couple of weeks ago. 18 points, you just you can't have that. At least Wiggins, who hasn't lived up to being a, a number one pick, but at least he's been an NBA player for a while. Although I don't, I just don't like him going 12 of 16. That that's I can live with Curry's 32 and his nine three point attempts because he's Steph Curry and he's marvelous. But it's the other guys that really got under my skin, and I think part of it was those turnovers early that gave those guys life. And then they come in without any fear, without any sense of, man, I better produce here. They come in all loose and, and they're playing and just having fun. And, and there you go. And they open up a, a decent lead. And the Jazz are playing catch up the entire game. Ray says, what's up is our inability to defend. Donovan minus 26, Bogey minus 24. Things are not trending well. Donovan puts up numbers, but he is not efficient. So referencing the minus 26 and the minus 24 is the plus minus, and the guys who didn't play with Rudy had a bad plus minus. Well, Mitchell played with Rudy. 
Right. But the guys who had to play the minutes when Rudy sat down. So when Rudy sat down, the Warriors went on runs. And it was clear that when he sat down, the Warriors were right. going to the rim. I thought that's why Mike Conley was an absolute slam dunk all-star because of his plus-minus. Now it turns out his plus-minus is only beneficiary because he's playing with Rudy? It is a positive. It absolutely <laughs> helps you. That's why, although we don't go into it, that's why people look at all that five-man and four-man lineup stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, they ran it up the flagpole about the plus-minus. Yep. Now it's all just because of Rudy. I can't say it's all just because of Rudy, but it's a major bonus to play with Rudy behind you blocking shots. (laughs) It is a major bonus. And not just that, but guys just like, yeah, I'm not even trying. (laughs) Well, it didn't look like Favors had much bounce. No, it didn't. It looked like he played below the rim. And it's not the first time. And I think that's the thing to look for. There are games where he looks more explosive, and there are games where he looks less explosive. And, you know, if... Guys don't want to play below the rim. The guys who play the, below the rim largely have to for one reason or another. I know. And, I always did. And, you know, is, is he healthy? And Quinn got asked that in the post game, and he gave an answer. It didn't answer whether he was healthy or not, but he spoke for quite a while after. So he, he gave an there. answer? He gave an answer, yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't the answer. It wasn't. We didn't hear, yeah, he's got a back problem or a knee problem or an ankle problem or whatever. And it wasn't, uh, he's 100% healthy. I don't know what the deal was. It was, well, there were several things happening out there with our rotations and our, I don't want to put it all on one guy. He didn't get to, you know, he's not going to address. They didn't answer the, the specific question. No. Which they rarely I was watching want the NCAA to. tournament uh, selection yeah. and I didn't, I listened to the pregame. He did get asked uh, about uh, what is his favorite fan interaction. He said he didn't have any. Yeah, that was um, the guy from USA Today checking in, clearly working on a, the but, fans are uh, coming back story. Um, yeah, something's got to be done there because it was clear, it was noticeable, and you're never going to replace Gobert one for one. It's just not going to happen. I mean, we we know that, uh, but that wasn't it wasn't effective there, and you can see the Warriors just light up and thinking, "All right, man, <laughs> we I'm, got a chance." To I'm get glad to I'm in the game now. <laughs> right? Because I don't have to worry about anything. I could just just dribble right to the hoop, and I'm going to get there. And that did happen, which led to the Warriors shooting 56%. And, I mean, well, I don't know. Uh, they So they were 50 of 89 and subtract 16 from 31. So their two percentage, man, which is way too high. All right, DJ and PK coming up. Question of the day, part two for you. Cougar and Aggie fans, all about the NCAA tournament. What are your expectations? We're going to get to that next. And then Kyle Whittingham and the Utes are talking spring football in about 20 minutes live right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Jordan Schultz, insider analyst for ESPN. With the first half in the books and, and what you know of the Utah Jazz, do you believe they have a shot at the championship? When they had that great three-point shooting month in January when they broke the all-time record, I said multiple times, Utah is a contender and Utah has a legitimate shot to win an NBA championship. They have everything you need. They have a great young player in Donovan Mitchell, a great coach, a force defensively in Rudy, a very very good point guard. They have experience. They're consistent. They shoot the ball extremely well. I think they're right in that conversation. I'm not going to say they're the favorite, but I think to answer your question, there's a definitive yes. And that's the first time I think we've said that in a long time. 
Hanson and Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision has given you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Brackets are out. What's going to happen with BYU and Utah State? Mm, it's going to be sweet when they may face off in the Final Four. <laughs> Alex says, I just want the Aggies to win in the tournament. It's been a while since they've got one in the big dance. 20 years. Yeah, it's too bad they didn't have it last year because they could have had two NBA players. I think Kate is an NBA player, and obviously Sam Merrill has made the NBA, but nevertheless, that's where they're at. I, you know, I think they've got a shot because they've got – they can play some defense. I thought that was a Majerus dream on Saturday, San Diego State and Utah State defensively. San Diego State really got after those guys, played great defense. It was somewhat of an old-school game, and I think the Aggies can do that too. you got to hit shots, though. got to hit enough shots to win. So Texas Tech is not a prolific offensive team themselves. Uh, they got that McClung kid who was a transfer from Georgia, Georgetown, who was considering BYU, and he's their leading scorer at about 15 points a game. So I think they've, they've got a shot to win. I don't know that they will, but they've got a shot. And if you're looking for that one win, it's right there before you. So I'll give you that. They absolutely have a shot, and their defense has been excellent. But they've now had – what, three of the last four games where they basically had 20-point first halves, maybe a little more than that. That's what I'm saying. you got to hit shots. And it, that trend, I find that trend really, really distressing. It's in, and the thing about the NCAA tournament is that it's so different, and these are college kids, and if you're playing in it for the first time and you've watched it on TV, you don't know what's going to happen with the nerves, and some guys play really poorly and some guys play great. So what's come before it doesn't necessarily tell you what's going to happen in that game. And so I don't want to make too big a deal out of these, these three games. But, man, it has been such a struggle, and they could really dig themselves a hole if they struggle like that out of the gate. So, yes, make shots, get yourself some easy looks somehow, and, and try to get going a little bit because it just seems like – it almost seems like now it's a given – that the first half has been a struggle, and it wasn't like that for a big chunk of the year, but for whatever reason, it is now. Sure. Well, I think competition has something to do with it. I think for whatever reason. I think I'll give reason. you yeah, San Diego State, but that doesn't explain what happened at Fresno State. I mean, it shouldn't be the competition there. Mm. Certainly CSU and Utah State knew it was high stakes when they got on the floor. And San Diego State, I mean, that's their calling card for years now. You know, you know they're going to defend you. Yeah, Especially in a conference athletes. tournament title when they've lost to you two years in a row. And then you, they had to go to Logan to start the regular season. They lost to you twice there. I mean, they're going to they're gonna come out and absolutely want a piece of you. So. No, they're going to have to hit shots, yeah. I, I get it. I think they're going to have to hit shots. No question about it. All right, and for BYU, uh, we didn't get a lot of feedback about uh, BYU here, and I suppose that's uh, largely because they don't even know who they're playing. They don't. I mean, Although Neil two said two wins, so I don't know if he's thinking one apiece or he's thinking BYU to the Sweet 16. It's not out of the realm. 
But I'm, I'm not. I'm not even worried about that second game. Yeah. As, as Matt Harm said yesterday, second you think about the Sweet 16, you're you're just diced. And here's a kid who's played in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight because he, he did it as uh, his first two years at Purdue. So that's when he was on there yesterday, and as a senior leader and a mature kid, uh, talking about that. And he's absolutely right. It's all about themselves here, with an eye towards that Thursday game, and uh, they've got they've got shots. If you're seated sixth and you're playing an 11 seed, I don't care how big the name is of the uh, jersey of that 11 seed, you're expected to win. And it would be a major disappointment for these guys. These guys want to. Se- Mark Pope wants to separate himself from BYU's recent past, and the only way to do that is to win in the NCAA tournament. At least get one. DJ PK, Kyle Winningham, coming up next, Utah Spring Football. Stay with us. DJ PK, time to go to the Utes' first spring football press conference live. Kyle Winningham already at the microphone. Spring ball is the second quarter, and so in the first quarter, you guys worked hard, made a lot of progress with strength gains, and uh, we're, uh, I think we're in a pretty good position right now to, to head into spring ball. And so, uh, like I said, we're eager to get back on the field and, and uh, start working. So, questions? We'll go first to Trevor Allen from kslsports.com, followed by Patrick Kinahan and Josh Newman. Go ahead, Trevor. Kyle, I wanted to touch on the wide receiver group. You've obviously had two guys transfer out and then also making a change uh, at, at, at the coaching uh, position. First off, what was the uh, choice behind uh, changing from Guy Holiday to uh, Chad Bumpus? Well, we just felt that, uh, you know, to – to um, take the uh, position group and uh, to to you know, the next level and be able to have them continue to uh, progress and develop and that it's nothing against Coach Holiday. I love Coach Holiday; he's a close friend. But uh, we just felt like maybe a, a new face, a new voice in that room would be something that uh, would be a positive. And you're right; we do need to uh, add to that group. We did lose a couple guys in the portal, and uh, we're planning on adding guys to the to the position group and that will be most likely not until uh summertime or at least close uh, close to that point it won't be in the immediate future and so we're going to uh continue to look and, and find the right fits for the uh you know for the additions and that's that's the direction we're going next patrick kinahan 12 in the zone followed by josh newman Patrick. Go ahead, PK. Yeah, we'll go to Josh Newman, come back around to PK. Hey, Kyle, good morning. Good morning, Josh. Um, I know that a spring two deep needs to be taken with a grain of salt, but can you maybe clarify what the quarterback situation is? You have Charlie listed as the starter. Um, Peter is the backup, and Jock Quinden is not listed at all. Can you maybe clarify what the situation is there? Well, we typically just put it too deep down unless there's uh, a, a situation where two guys are on equal footing. But it's just a, a very raw, uh, early speculation on what we, you know, how we're going in and what we feel is the pecking order right now. Uh, that could change dramatically as, as the guys start to take reps. And so really nothing to read into that other than we, uh, you know, we don't have any guys coming back other than Cam who won't be 
participating. And we don't we don't list guys on the two deep who will not be participating in spring ball. And so we just do a best guess scenario and uh, let it sort itself out. Uh, Charlie's the uh, the upperclassman of the group, the senior. Uh, all the other ones are, are freshmen, and so just naturally we figured that Charlie would be the uh, the leader of that group, uh, at least at the onset. And then we'll see what happens from there. Just a follow up to that, um, you know, what are the difficulties, if any, of having such a drastic change to your QB room with, you know, with Jake and Drew leaving and Charlie and some new guys coming in? That should be fine in the final analysis. We've got uh, spring ball and all summer to work. Uh, they've already got a good start to uh, quarterbacks and receivers in this first uh, three months of the year, throwing on their own and, and uh, getting familiar with each other. And so, if, you know, spring ball is really, that's what spring ball is for, is to try to get uh, position battles ironed out and, and uh, get guys uh, situated on the depth chart. So that's uh, that's our job as coaches to start start making those decisions. And uh, you know, we just got to evaluate every day and, and – uh, make the uh, decisions that we feel are, are the proper ones. We'll go next to Cole Bagley from the Daily Utah Chronicle, followed by Sam Yamora. Yeah, good morning, Coach. Um, I just was wondering what intrigued you the, mo- the, uh, the most about uh, quarterback Charlie Brewer? Uh, the fierce competitive nature that the kid's got. He's, uh, you know, you talk to uh, anyone in that program, Baylor, and they'll tell you who the leader is on the football team. And the guy that uh, everybody rallies around, uh, that combined with some really good statistics, he was the second leading passer in Baylor football history, led them to a bunch of wins. I know that the past season was not what uh, he was hoping for, but uh, you look at his body of work at Baylor, and it's very strong. And, and more than anything else, is his leadership and ability to uh, make those around him better. Next is Sammy Mora, followed by Patrick Kinahan. Morning, Coach. So, obviously, you guys had the quarterback and running back position to address with the transfer portal this offseason. What was your guys' main objective with finding guys who fit into the program and fit into the system that you guys have? Well, exactly just that, finding guys that would be a good fit for us, what we do, uh, not only from a, uh, a football standpoint, talent standpoint, but personality standpoint. We get uh, – guys in this program we feel like we've got a great group as far as high character and guys that are team guys and that's what we were looking for in addition to the football aspect of it uh, when we're bringing guys in the program we guys that are team players uh, unselfish and just want to make uh, you know make our football team better and, and contribute any way they can next we'll go to patrick kinahan followed by steve bartle from Ute zone if it comes to it on the quarterback position, how will you balance somebody who can help you win immediately versus somebody who might have better long-term potential but doesn't have the experience? Well, it's all part of the equation. That's a good question because you're looking at uh, not only at the immediate season but, but down the road, and you just got to do the best job that you can as far as balancing that and making the right decision. And typically, all, all things being equal – you know, winning now is the most important thing. And so uh, that's going to be the uh, top priority. But, but it all goes into the equation. And uh, you know, obviously it's going to be a very important decision because that's the most important position on the field. I don't think there's any doubt about that. That's no secret. And so uh, we'll just see how things shake out. But, but uh, we feel like the room is, is uh, 
got a lot of good players in it, and uh, the personality seemed to fit, and they've been getting along exceptionally well. And, and of course, when we add Cam to the equation uh, in the summer, that that gives us one more uh, guy that uh, is going to be right in the hunt. Steve Barnum, Josh Newman, and Josh Furlong. Morning, Coach. Morning. Um, you've got a pretty unique roster this spring camp, and you know you've got a majority of the roster are underclassmen, but you also return a healthy number of starters. You return three of your four captains and ten of fourteen from the leadership council last season. I guess. How unique is this roster and how beneficial is it to have the experience and leadership returning that you do? Well, it's the most unique since I've been a football coach. And the reason being is the seniors, super seniors is what we call them, is uh, they don't count in the uh, overall scholarship number. And so we've got uh, a big squad. We have 120 players out for spring ball. And uh, I don't, I can't remember ever being above 90. And uh, of course the, the pause in their eligibility this past fall is a big reason for that. But uh, you know, we've got uh, a bunch of players in the program right now. It's, it's, like it's more of a fall camp field than it is a spring ball field because of the numbers. But uh, you're right, we have, uh, I think, 70-plus between the freshman and sophomore class. And uh, that's probably the most we've ever had there as well. And, again, when you uh, pause the, the eligibility, things get backed up a little bit. But – but uh, after this upcoming season, things should get back to uh, more of a normal feel and the numbers will get back to uh, where they've been in the past. And then just to follow up, um, just with with the leadership, what is it like to have guys like Devin Lloyd and Mika Tafua and, and Orlando Amon and, and, and those guys kind of setting the example for those young players? It's invaluable. You can never have too much uh, great leadership. And those guys you mentioned have been excellent leaders for us. There's some really good leaders in the program uh, that are coming up through the ranks and the younger, with the younger guys. And, and uh, so we feel like we're in good shape uh, with a, a nucleus of guys that can set the pace and, and uh, be the guys that everybody looks to and, and uh, be the example for everybody. So we, we feel like we're in a good place as far as that goes. Josh Newman, then Josh Furlong. Kyle, uh, Kane Savage's shift to to wide receiver is that more of a depth issue right now, or or, or might that be a long term move for him? A little bit of both. You know, obviously we need uh, bodies in wide receiver. That's when we took the hit most recently with uh, losing guys, and not only to the transfer portal, but guys that are unavailable due to injury. And so Kane was an outstanding receiver in high school, and was very productive. And so he and Ben Renfro, we moved two players from the defense over to the, to the wide receiver position between Ben and Kane. And uh, whether it's long-term will be determined uh, at the, uh, in the spring ball. We'll see how those guys adapt. Ben was also a, a full-time receiver in high school as well. So those two guys have a lot of experience, and they're there due to the numbers as well as giving an opportunity to see what they can do on that side of the ball. And uh, if it looks like their highest ceiling is going to be moving back to defense after spring ball, we'll make that move. But if it looks like they're, they're settled in and, and going to be productive at wide receiver, we can keep them there. So that's to be determined. But uh, we probably would not have – in fact, we definitely would not have made those moves had we not had some uh, thinning out of that position. Quick follow-up, and this is off topic, but has there been any discussion uh, as to whether or not uh, it will be mandated for players to get the vaccine 
once it's their turn? I don't think it's going to be mandated. I don't know if you can do that. Uh, we're encouraging it. And uh, I think most of our guys will get the vaccine. I can't say that for certain, but, but uh, you know, I don't think that's something that, uh, that should be mandated. I think that's an individual decision, but, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Josh Furlong, and then our final two will come from Steve Bartle and Trevor Allen. Hey, Kyle, obviously uh, Ty Jordan's death is not something you guys can easily just forget, um, but how do you feel like the program in general is doing adjusting to that? Obviously, it's been a few months now, but, uh, you know, adjusting to being able to find a new uh, running back as well as uh, just understanding kind of the, the situation that brings and kind of the motivation that'll bring for, for guys this, this year. Yeah, well, it's obviously, you know, as painful as anything I've been through as a football coach. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about Ty. Um, you know, as far as his memory, you know, we, we are, uh, you know, we have some things in-house here that we've done uh, to, to honor Ty and, and keep him at the forefront of our minds. Um, and he will definitely be missed. I mean, just not only as a football player, I mean, the football part of it was obvious, but his personality and his, his charisma and just the way he lit up a room uh, is the thing that uh, I'm going to miss the most. Um, as far as the position itself, we went to the portal and got a couple of really good backs, uh, TJ Pledger out of Oklahoma and Chris Curry out of LSU. So we were able to, to get some, uh, some talent in the room in the offseason. And that position with Mackay Bernard as well, those three are going to be the headliners of that group. And it'll be a good battle in spring to see, uh, see how those guys separate themselves. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a situation where Ty is, is – you know, on all our minds still, it's been a few months, as you mentioned, but, but uh, he is, uh, he was such a, a dynamic person and uh, we just, you know, I personally miss him every day. That's, quick quick follow-up to that. It, it is, do you feel like some of the players that maybe could have had a chance to go to the NFL or done something like that, maybe some of this kind of helped give them some motivation to want to come back and kind of play their season four tie, or, or do you kind of get any of that sense? You know, that's something you'd have to ask them. I haven't had that exact conversation with these guys as to why. Uh, well, we've talked about, you know, with each guy that was in that situation, the pros and cons of leaving and staying and so forth. But, but uh, as far as on a personal level with Ty, that's something you'd have to answer. We'll have to make this our last question with Steve Bartle. Go ahead, Steve. Coach, he addressed the uh, the reason and the the feeling for why you needed to make a change at the receiver position. I would just be curious to hear why Chad Bumpfus was was the choice. Well, Chad was with us uh, back in 2018. His graduate assistant did a phenomenal job. Um, seemed to fit really well uh, with our staff and with what we were doing. Uh, he's since uh, been a full time coach at a couple different places and done a nice job in those capacities. And just seemed like uh, a guy that we already knew our system. We already knew what we're all about, how we run, how we run things, how we operate, and uh, just seemed to be a really good fit. He was very popular with the players uh, when he was here back in '18. And in fact, we have uh, four or five players still on the roster that were here uh, during that year, and they all were very uh, positive in their in their uh, you know, viewpoint and opinion of Chad. And, it just seemed like a good fit all the way around. So that's the direction. All right. Thank you. 
All right, there is Kyle Whittingham, his first media availability of spring football. And we will be hearing from him. Uh, we'll be hearing from the Utes three times a week. And I think Kyle is scheduled to speak on Mondays and Fridays. And we'll carry him live right here on The Zone. And uh, PK, your question there seemed like the, uh, the obvious follow-up to having watched a couple quarterback battles in, in the past and what Chris Kimrani told us when he was on, that he actually wants to go against the grain with Brewer and say that eh, Kyle has uh, Kyle's done this before where the veteran guy, you know, Troy Williams, lost the job to a younger guy who may not have been better day one but was certainly worth the investment knowing he had three years and they rode him to a couple of Pac-12 title games. So, you know, could that happen again? It seemed like that's where you were probing. Yeah, I guess it could happen again, but that was four years ago. Kyle will be 62 this season. And I don't know how many more seasons he's got. Not that he's an old man by any stretch and is out of the game has passed him by. I'm not saying that. But it's an issue that you have to consider. All right, Andy Ludwig, the offensive coordinator, is sitting down. Let's listen in. Questions for Coach Ludwig. We'll start off with Steve Bartle, followed by Trevor Allen from KSLSports.com. Morning, Coach. Morning. Good morning. Uh, <laughs> would uh, would just be curious to get your thoughts on uh, the uh, the receiver room and and what returns there and what you're hoping to get out of that group this spring camp. Well, I expect a lot of production. I'm excited about the group of players we have in the room. Uh, the new coach in the room. We got a great chance to get better. There's a good combination of returning experience and talented youth. And we're looking to put it all together, see what, see what it looks like this afternoon. Next up, Josh Furlong. Yeah, Coach, obviously in fall, you, you know, two of your biggest positions were quarterback and wide or uh, running back. Now you're kind of facing that similar situation heading into spring, knowing that you still have Cam rising out and, and obviously differences to change. But what, what do you feel like, uh, is the difference maybe going into spring as as maybe opposed to fall? And, and what, are you, what do you see from this group? Well, much like the receiver position, uh, just an influx of new talented players at the quarterback position uh, with Charlie Brewer coming in, a graduate transfer, uh, Pete Costelli, uh, high school, early enrollee out of high school, Jaquindon Jackson, uh, transfer out of Texas. So some new faces, but uh, really a, a high bar in terms of talent level uh, in the quarterback room. It's going to be a very competitive situation. Cam Rising will not go through spring practices, as you mentioned, but he'll be around everything we're doing and provides leadership and insight to the position that will be a great asset to the new quarterbacks in the room. Also rounding out the room would be uh, Bryson Barnes and Cooper Justice, two players that have been in the program for one year, and uh, those players cannot be discounted. Uh, in terms of the running back room, what a, what a great mix now. Coach, Coach McDonald did a phenomenal job of recruiting uh, via the portal. Obviously, Makai Bernard returning. And then with the influx of the two transfer tailbacks, uh, that, that room's got a completely new feel. And I'm really excited to see how uh, TJ and Chris look uh, with helmets on and pads on as we move forward through spring ball. So, Again, it's a great combination of returning experienced players, uh, some young dynamic players in the rooms, and then the influx of transfer players that should provide us immediate impact on the offensive group. Next, we'll go to Trevor Allen, followed by Josh Newman and Patrick Kinahan. 
Good morning, Coach. Um, I just wanted to to uh, find out what what was it about Charlie Brewer and JJ uh, to where you guys went after them and, and tried to get them here at, at Utah. Uh, two very talented uh, quarterbacks. You know, different different experience levels with Charlie. Obviously, a multiple uh, multiple year starter at the Division One level, and Jaquindon Jackson, a very talented. Uh, freshmen coming in to join us and we just felt like there were two men that had an opportunity to contribute compete right away and again anxious to see them with the ball in their hand you know we've been running around all winter haven't seen them throw the football yet so this afternoon will be a real tell so but, uh, it's a good group couple football junkies and they it's a great fit in that quarterback room josh newman followed by patrick kinahan andy good morning um good morning. What are the difficulties, um, if any, uh, of having such a radical change to your quarterback room? You know, with Jake and Drew leaving and you're bringing in Jack Quinton and Charlie, and, you know, there's a lot of changes happening. Are there any difficulties in, in such a change to the QB room? Yeah, with, uh, well, it's a, it's a great challenge is what it is with, uh, again, Charlie, Jack Quinton, and Peter Costelli, three new players in the room. But these kids have come in and done a great job of uh, learning the system uh, to date. It's been a very productive two months, so I think they're really up to speed. But it is, it is a challenge. It's basically a quarterback rebuild in that room. Uh, you know, again, without having Cam taking the reps in the spring, these young players are going to get a lot of reps, and they, we have to maximize the reps. But without a doubt, I don't know that I would use the word difficulty, but it is a great challenge, but that's what the profession's all about. Josh Newman followed by Patrick Kinahan. You have three quarterback transfers from the state of Texas. Is that coincidental or is there something there? Uh, I would say it is coincidental, but we do have uh, great respect and a great uh, pipeline from the state of Texas. You know, Cam, Cam rising is a transfer from, he started, you know, high school in Southern California started at the university of Texas. So however you want to phrase that, but uh, the pipeline and recruiting between the state of Texas and Utah has been very strong. We've got a lot of good players on the roster from the state and a great appreciation for uh, the high school coaches in the state of Texas, the way those players are prepared to play the game and, and how it transitions into college. Thank you. We'll go to Sammy Mora from the Daily Utah Chronicle, followed by Steve Bartle from Ute Zone. Morning, Coach. Um, so Coach Whittingham just talked about personality with getting these guys out of the portal um how do you as an offensive coach go about evaluating these talents personality wise to make sure that they will mesh and fit in with this culture at utah well you, you have to do your due diligence in terms of betting or or researching of the players by talking to their their college coaches their uh the strength and conditioning uh coaches at the previous schools the athletic trainers and just uh, their high school coaches. So you, you dig pretty deep, but then the conversations with the, uh, with the young men, whether it's a recruiting coach or myself, getting to know them and making sure it will be a smooth transition. It's not a science. It's not a perfect uh, match 100% of the time. However, we feel like uh, we have hit home runs in, in the players that you're discussing. Next up is Steve Bartle from Zone. Coach, you have a, a pretty young roster on, on the offense side of the ball, a lot of youth throughout the offensive side, but you also bring back a lot of experience and leadership. 
how does the how do those leaders and those players with experience help you as a coach during spring camp? Well, first and foremost, uh, we're going into the third year running the same offensive system. So the, the veteran players, they know the system inside and out. There's no radical changes or adjustments to what we're doing, especially in this spring as we're trying to break in some new quarterbacks and tailbacks. It's really about the core of the offense. And uh, if you look at Nick Ford, uh, Cole Fotheringham, Brant Keithy, these players have been around uh, and know the ins and outs of the X's and O's and can really add insight to the players uh, from a player's perspective to the new guys and ease the transition and learning curve. Okay, thank you very much, Coach Ludwig. We appreciate it. There is Andy Ludwig, Utah's offensive coordinator. Before that, we heard from Kyle Whittingham. Uh, The quarterbacks are scheduled to speak. We'll hear from them coming up. Right now, we're going to take a break. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. Never ending story is more compelling than short circuit. No, no, stop it. No, stop. Never ending story would win a poll against short circuit. Guarantee you. I can't even believe I'm putting this poll together. How do you spell circuit? <laughs> By the way, I almost hope. Do what you feel is right. I, I almost hope never ending story wins because if short circuit wins, we're going to lose you for the rest of the show. Show memorandum. Let's just euthanize short circuit. My guy is as upset as any time I've ever seen him in the history of this show. Why? Because we speak truth? No more short circuit. Take Johnny Five and put a crowbar to his head. He's done. Disassemble. Johnny Five. No disassemble! Catch Hans and Scotty every day. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision is giving you 1,000 reasons to get rid of the contacts or the glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. All right, PK, we just listened to Utah head coach Kyle Whittingham and the offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig. The quarterbacks are starting to sit down now. Cam Rising was on during the break, and Yach has been recording that, and we'll play it back for you uh, in a while. We want to hear from some of the quarterbacks, because obviously who the quarterback is is question number one when you're talking about a college football program. It's very rare that that isn't the number one question. Now, for the Utes, there are multiple questions because for multiple reasons, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end is the only skill position where we have answers. We get questions everywhere else for lots of reasons. But the question that went to Andy Ludwig about how do you find the right guy with transfers and all that, and Andy, a guy who is not prone to a lot of hype, a guy who I think can take the media thing or leave it, you know, if he, if he doesn't do it, so what? If he does it, he doesn't do it with any attitude. He just sits there and says what he says. And so when he says they feel like they hit home runs, I, I got to admit, my ears perked up right there. Really? They did? Yeah. Your eyebrows raised? My eyebrows raised. My hands are <laughs> trembling. Well, Andy doesn't mince words. He gets right to the point. Right. So that means something. From somebody else, it's like, okay, they're a hype master, and they fire everything up. Andy doesn't fire everything up. He just no, says no, what no. he says. So if he says home runs, then he is pumped, and he is loving what he's seeing when he's talking to guys. 
And obviously well, loved what he saw in film. a solo home run in a Grand Slam, so uh, you know, okay. we'll see. But what I find interesting is they have a Brewer atop the depth chart at quarterback and a Moroni and a Nephi atop the list of starting linebackers. A Brewer and a Moroni and a Nephi. All right, Jaquindon is sitting down right now. Here, let's listen in. And you had all these offers to go to other schools. What what stood out about Utah? Uh, I really didn't get a, a visit to Utah, so I really didn't know what it was really about uh, until I actually talked to Todd about it, and he, he broke it down to me. Um, once he broke it down to me, he explained to me that um, it's a family and, it's, and everybody speaks together in this unit. I just fell in love with it then. So from that, that point on, I was just like, I'm coming to Utah. Next question is from Josh Furlong, followed by Josh Newman. JJ, I think a couple of weeks ago you tweeted that you made the, the best decision to come to Utah. What, what you know, is it about Utah that you feel like has, has maybe, I don't know if it's, you know, revitalized you or, or given you kind of a new sense of, of, of hope? What, what do you feel like is, is this change has been for you? Uh, Everybody, everybody is one. Everybody is a unit and everybody stick together as one. It's a family here, which, um, which is a plus for me. So that's one thing that I love about this program. And it's a, um, uh, NFL ready program. Basically, um, they get you ready for the NFL, but as a freshman, like this, this program is amazing. Next question will come from Josh Newman. Jaquindon, how are you? Doing fine. How about you? Doing well, thanks. Um, look, this is a new situation for you, new teammates, new quarterback room. Can you maybe describe what the vibe inside the quarterback room is? Because, you know, you're not the only new guy in that room right now. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a chill vibe. Like, everybody learning. Everybody um, – we everybody's on the same track because Logan is doing an excellent job teaching us the offense and giving us game on how to be successful as quarterbacks. So it's, uh, it's a brotherhood and a family in the quarterback room. And uh, just to follow that up, I'm curious. I mean, I mean, you're a Texas guy. You spent a year at the University of Texas. What what's the uh, change been like coming from Texas to Utah, non-football, just in general, trying to get the vibe of Salt Lake City? Right. Comics is, I can't even explain it. Uh, and it's freezing, like it's snow every other week. I don't, I don't understand it, but it's uh, it's amazing. Man. I love it out here. The viewing of the mountains, I, like I have, I have never seen mountains before. So it's uh, it's it's mind blowing. Next question will come from Josh Furlong. Yeah, what was your relationship um, with with Ty Jordan, and and how have these last few months been um, since his death? Uh, I've been knowing Ty since we was in eighth grade. Um, I had played against him in a spring football. He played for the LA Wild Dogs, and I played for the Dallas Lions. Uh, I had first seen him. I was like, bro, he was short and stocky and fast. I ain't, I have never seen nobody like that. I called him Little Hercules because he was so big and fast. But um, me and Todd grew a relationship over over time. Uh, I had took my official to Texas and he took his. This was back when uh, him and his mama was alive. I uh, got to meet his mama. Um, we had a um, 
conversation about him coming to Texas, which he ended up doing, and I uh, and he um, he uh, told me about why he um flipped, you know, which I totally understood, and that's when uh, I see him out here doing his thing, so I was like. Like turn them on from the side because you know I wasn't playing that shit, so I was basically like texting every every other game. I see you doing your thing and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, his death, his death was surprising. Like you, it, it, it caught me off guard. Uh, I had actually got woke up on my seat from uh, from the news and the that following Monday. We were supposed to um, work out, basically try to get the feel for each other because we ain't never been on the same team. We always been competing against each other. But the relationship with me and Todd was actually about to start getting even closer than it was. And, uh, yeah, it just – that was just another another blow to the stomach because I, I don't lost three people. In one year last year, so 2020 was a tough year. But, yeah, that, um, that was my boy. Long little time, man. Sorry, I know, just to follow up, I know this is this is obviously hard for you, but yeah. how much how much motivation does that give you? And, and obviously you've seen this now with the team who played with him uh, to kind of play this season and dedicate this season to him. It's, it gave me a lot of motivation because I know that, He's not here to do it, so I got to do it for him. Uh, and this, like, me, me, A-Lo, we, we done talked about it before because A-Lo very close with him, too. So, Aaron Lowe, um, we had talked about it before, and we said we got we to gotta do it for the ones that's not here. Um, so, we're going to keep pushing, moving forward, and keep grinding and grinding out to the, to the wheels fall off. And uh, just keep keep them on our mind. Keep us choking. All right, that was your final question. Thank you. All right, there's Jaquin Jackson. He is a transfer quarterback from Texas. And PK, you and I can both see the video for the people listening on radio. Man, the body language there. His hands, just like the sweaty palms, rubbing them on his thighs, rocking back a little, back and forth a little bit. There was a lot of emotion in those answers. Yeah, there was. Let's go to Charlie Brewer. Charlie Brewer is sitting down here. Is the transfer from Baylor as Utah brings all the quarterbacks to the microphone? Started, you know, quite quite a few years at Baylor, and then uh, what what led you to making a change, and then ultimately ending up at Utah? Yeah, I think for me, I was just kind of ready for a change and, uh, you know, get somewhere new. Um, you know, glad it worked out the way it did. Uh, really excited to be here. Got a great coaching staff, you know, a great team. And, you know, I'm fortunate to, you know, be part of Utah football. Next question will come from Cole Bagley with the Utah Daily Chronicle. Morning, Charlie. Morning. What was it that made you commit to Utah so quickly? I just thought it was a really good opportunity. Um, felt like it was a good fit. 
and uh, just kind of went ahead and did it. Didn't want it to, you know, drag along too long. And, uh, you know, I felt I made a, you know, a great decision. Next question will come from Josh Newman. Charlie, good morning. Good morning. Um, a lot of times when a graduate transfer quarterback is looking for a new home, uh, you know, they're looking for a spot where they can play right away, and, you know, and maybe competition is not part of the equation. Uh, obviously, there is going to be a competition here. Um, you know, was that a was that a benefit to you that you were going to come in and, and that you were going to have to compete? Yeah, I mean, I think there's competition kind of everywhere, everywhere you go in college football, there's going to be competition. So, you know, I think I, I welcome that. And, you know, I've been through, you know, many competitions before. And, um, you know, I think it's, you know, not just good for me, but good for the team. Next question will come from Josh Furlong, followed by Hans Olsen. Yeah, you come from a conference that obviously is known for its its heavy passing attacks and, and just a ton of offense. You know, what do you, what do you feel like you can personally bring uh, here to a to a place that quite honestly is 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 a lot of uh, running back and a lot of you know pounded into the ground type situations. H how do you feel like you can kind of fit into this type of offense? Uh, you know, I think you know first off just being a good teammate. Um, you know, to everyone on the team. You know, earning everyone's trust. Um, you know, I think you know here I'm going to get to do a lot of a little bit of everything, kind of a very multiple offense. So. Um, you know, I feel as if I'm able to throw the ball and, and you know, tuck it and run when I need to. Next question will come from Hans Olsen, followed by Cole Bagley. We're so accomplished at Baylor, Charlie. What went into the decision to leaving Baylor? Um, you know, I think it was, you know, a multitude of things. Um, just felt, you know, overall it was, it was best for me and my career if I, if I moved on and, um, you know, kind of went somewhere new and, uh, you know, finished my career somewhere else. Next question is from Cole Bagley. Hey, Trent, I'd just like to get your initial thoughts on the wide receiving core here at Utah. Guys like, you know, Britt Covey, Jalen Dixon, Brant Keithy. What, what are your overall thoughts on the talent here at Utah? I think there's a lot of talent. Got a lot of, a lot of good receivers and tight ends um, and running backs that can catch the ball. So, there's going to be a, you know, a lot of guys that can, that can make some plays. And um, yeah, I think there's overall, there's a ton of talent. All right. That was your final question. Thanks, Charlie. All right, a short session there with uh, with Charlie Brewer. We'll get you up to date uh, more on the Utes and their first spring football availability with Kyle Whittingham and the offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig on all four of the quarterbacks. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show, the Big Show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Tell you what. If anybody has a problem on their mind, call in today and Austin will play the role of the uh, receptionist. <laughs> Are you and, eating? Yeah, sorry. I, uh, I really wanted to see if I could eat this on the air without you noticing. Sounds like you're eating a peanut butter cupcake. <laughs> There's no way you were going to hide that. Do you know what it is? Disrespectful. Like, oh, it, <laughs> Rude. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> 
This was a piece of caramel. You ate a piece of caramel and didn't think we'd notice? (laughs) I wanted to see if you would, just for fun. It wasn't, and we did. (laughs) Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. And now, your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer strong play of the weekend. That's the Aggie players applauding, and that is Coach Craig Smith yelling and hollering as the Aggies find out they are in the NCAA tournament. That is a slightly offbeat play of the game. Know it today at 4.50, and you can win fabulous prizes on the big show. The Aggies in the NCAA tournament. We're going to talk about that with Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, coming up in 15 minutes. Aggies are an 11th seed playing Texas Tech. BYU is a 6th seed, waiting to find out if they get UCLA or Michigan State. Those two will play Thursday night in the first four. And we'll talk college hoops coming up with Steve. Right now, we just had two segments of the Utes, and we'll have Ute football for you Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays as they do their spring football media availability. We won't usually have that much, but today they ran out the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and all four quarterbacks, two of whom hit during commercial breaks. Uh, So we got to listen to quite a bit. PK, you had a couple of questions because we heard you in there, and I'm sure you've got a few thoughts having heard uh, everyone speak. What would you like to share with the audience, the point you'd like to hammer home from all of this? Charlie Brewer is a man of few words, a young man of few words. <laughs> that is true. He like He was asked the same question three or four times, why would you come to Utah? And he didn't really offer detailed explanation there. So uh, that makes me think that, you know, this is a business trip here. He didn't come all the way out here. I know he played at Baylor. I don't know his background in high school. I assume he's a Texas kid. He's not coming out here for any other reason but to get out on the field and showcase his talents more so for the NFL and obviously win some games. Didn't have a lot to say, uh, which that's no big deal. You don't necessarily need to have a lot to say. Uh, Tyler Huntley didn't necessarily have a lot to say. As a sophomore, he did, and he swore, and he shut it down after that. <laughs> after that, that, uh, that, that He'll always thing. be our favorite for that. <laughs> <laughs> Losing streaks did not sit well with him. Yes, it was bleeping embarrassing. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Interview's <laughs> over. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Good night. Drive 55 uh, before yeah, he drops I another one. I laughed too loud on that one. It was, it was an enclosed environment. We're up there in Oregon, and that was that was one of their bad games. They got rolled, if I remember correctly. So uh, interesting in that situation. There, three quarterbacks from from Texas. Now, yeah. one of them is from uh, Southern California, who went yeah. to Texas. So they got it's it's an interesting dynamic here because I don't know that I can recall. There's got to be maybe somebody. I don't know all the programs in the country off the top of my head. But to have three transfers from Texas battling for the starting job uh, is, is funky. In Texas football, and they had Sports Illustrated a few years back before it went all political, yep. they did a big story on the number of high school quarterbacks from the state of Texas that were playing college ball, and there was like 20-some. They were all over the country. So we know that's really good, although Rising played his high school ball in Southern California up there and uh, by the Magic Mountain area. 
Uh, Brewer, so. Brewer played in Austin at a school there. So you're right. He is a Texas guy going from Austin to play at Baylor. Yeah. And so those guys are schooled in football from a young, young age. And uh, well, yeah. I believe there's talent there. But, you know, I haven't seen it in the Utah system at all, obviously, because you really didn't get to see rising. I realize he started, but he played 13 or 14 plays or whatever it was. And then he's done. Uh, so we really didn't get to see him, and they didn't have spring ball last year. It was canceled. They had a couple of practices. On the, they shut down the fall, uh, this the August training camp whatsoever, so we don't get to see. So I literally haven't seen him do anything outside of a couple of spring practices, uh, that and the year before, and some fall the year before. But that doesn't really count that much. So Brewer, is, we got all sorts of film on him, nothing on Jackson, and I don't care what the high school kid did. That's great that he did all that, but you know he's actually going to go two years basically without playing because their senior season is right now, and he's not there. Oregon State, so we lost. That's embarrassing. Damn, excuse my language. Okay, guys, thanks. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to find a gap to play in, so... <laughs> That was a great moment. Uh, those huge swearing. You got uh, Cody Barton after the, uh, uh, what was the bowl? What's the holiday, holiday bowl? They bleeped the bed. Rod Zunder looked at me. Did she just say they bleeped <laughs> yeah. the bed? Said, yes, they did. Yes, he did. So uh, this high school kid, you know, he hadn't played. He only played three years of high school and then doesn't play his senior year. And now he's up here. So leads me to believe that it's going to be between Brewer and Rising, but don't rule out Jackson because it's not like Rising has more time in the system, obviously, but he barely has any more playing time. He has like 14 plays more than Jackson. Well, that's negligible. That doesn't really even count. So what does that mean? They've got to get good quarterback play, obviously. And if they do, if they get great quarterback play, I think they win the South. They get good quarterback play, they're in the running. They get the quarterback play that they got last year, they don't win it in their five games. So we have to watch how this plays out. And Brewer, has, as Kyle Winningham said, you know he's a senior, everybody else is freshman, so he defaults to the top of the depth chart. There's plenty of times to change that if results warrant. But I don't think they can have what they had last year. You know, and, and we didn't... We didn't get to go up there and see stuff like we normally do. Everything's changed. But once we saw the games, I came away with the idea that, well, we thought the veteran guy was going to get the job, but really he just wasn't that good, so they went with the younger guy. Now, well, I think Rising won the job, though. Don't you think, I don't think this he got year it by default. Brewer, don't you think this year Brewer isn't going to back up to the competition? He's too proven. Yeah, but I don't. I don't want to discount Rising's performance in training camp right. last year. So that means uh, if someone wins the job, if someone beats out Brewer for the job, it's because they played at a really high level. Assu- well, assuming that he doesn't get see, hurt somehow. See, but a, a real high level for the Utes is don't throw interceptions. <laughs> I mean, it just is. We got it. We got. We've got so to somebody have else, real talk So if somebody's at sixty-five uh, percent completion rate and throws for however many yards, but if they throw eight picks in practice, Kyle's just not giving them the job. 
He doesn't, no, he doesn't care think, about the uh, 70%, however many yards and whatever scrimmages they do that we don't get to see because we are uh, – and Kyle answered a question, um, I think it was from Josh Newman, and nobody's required to get the vaccine. So there, there, there's too many guys there to think that everybody's going to get the vaccine. The protocols are going to be in place for a while regardless of how poorly or well things go. So we're not going to see a lot of stuff. Maybe they'll put out some video. You know, but even that'll no, be no. Well, my information is going to come from talking to people. That's, right, it's not going to be through my own eyes. And talking to people last year, I mean, I found out that they had named Rising. I didn't want to come on the air because I wanted Kyle to let it be announced. Uh, a few years back, I retweeted Adam Schultz's high school coach saying, "Way to go, Adam! Good luck uh, starting." And I retweeted it, and Kyle got mad. <laughs> yeah. So it's not worth it to get these guys upset over this because we'll, we'll find out on that Saturday and Schultz started against was against Oregon and they lost the game and he was a walk-on and blah, blah, blah. So let let them I'm, – I'm not going to announce it, and, but I was told Rising, his accuracy was substantially better than Bentley's was last season. So, yes, they chart everything a thousand times over. They've got – as we've all been to practices, they got – uh, at least three, if not four cameras fil- filming practice from every possible angle. Yep. So whoever, it, it, it's it's almost like going to come down to a mathematical equation. I think the Troy Williams, Tyler Huntley thing was more of a gut feel than the rising Bentley thing. Here, I think you'll have a combo of some gut and statistics. Yeah, it has because to Because everything's going to be charted starting today. Yes. Everything. But the thing is that it's... Um as they depend less on pocket quarterbacks and more on the escapability. And in the, if you haven't been to a practice or a scrimmage, they blow stuff dead. And so guys don't really have a chance to break tackles. It's like, ah, he's close enough to touch him and you blow the whistle. And we have both heard from quarterbacks who are like, oh, the quick whistle they put on me, it's like, I could have made that play. I mean, these guys get all wrapped up in, in practice and being competitive and all that. So it almost has to be a gut feel because you have the math on throwing. But because you are weighting it with the running, you're never really going to have the math on running because it's not real. They're not letting guys get hit. Even when they have four quarterbacks, they're not letting them get hit. They're just not doing it. No, they ain't. When we come back, basketball insider Steve Cleveland, NCAA tournament matchups, the Jazz 4-5 and five in their last nine. Are the Cougars and Aggies going to progress in the tournament? Plenty to talk about with Steve Cleveland next. Stay with us. DJPK brought to you in part by The Store. The Store has grab-and-go meals and hundreds of local products. The Store has two locations, in Holiday, 6200 South and 2050 East, and at the Gateway Mall in downtown Salt Lake City. That's The Store. DJ and PK, it is time to bring in our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. So much to talk to you about. The Jazz are slumping. The Aggies got in and were whooping it up in a ballroom at their hotel. The Cougars knew they were in. They just wanted to find out who they're going to play. And they still don't know who they're going to play. So we got to get through all of this with you in the next 20 minutes or so. Let's start with uh, BYU. We knew they were in. We thought they might get a 6 or 7 seed. They got a 6. So for all the people who felt like your teams and Dave teams got poor seeds and deserved better, well, none of that this year. But UCLA or Michigan State, if you were Mark Pope, who would you rather play? And if you were Mark Pope, who do you expect to play? Uh, I'd rather play probably UCLA, who's lost four in a row. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, uh, I mean, you know, it's, uh, I've seen UCLA play a couple times and, uh, but you know, it's not that they're obviously they're, they're a solid team. They got in, uh, they've had some good wins, but anytime you're, you've lost four games in a row, um, there, there's some doubt and, uh, I'm sure they believe they can beat Michigan state. And, you know, and when you look at Michigan state, uh, you know, you're, they they've defeated Michigan, number two Michigan. They've defeated number four Ohio State. They've defeated number five Illinois. So you know they're capable. I mean, they got bad losses, and they lost three out of the last four as well. So, uh, but to me, the Big Ten was the best conference in the country, and for Michigan State. And I don't know a lot about Michigan State, but at the end of the day. If you can if you can beat Michigan or Ohio State and Illinois, you're 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 capable of beating anybody. And I, I recognize those were home games; they weren't neutral site games. And um, so, you know, I think I'm wanting to play UCLA, but at this time of the year, you know, you're you're just doing everything you can to prepare. And uh, you know, you're not really talking to your guys about the fact that they've lost four in a row. I probably wouldn't be the smartest. You're going to show them film of of good wins, big wins. And get them ready, and make sure they re- they respect their opponent. But uh, uh, you know, they took fourth in the Pac-12. They're seventeen and nine UCLA, so you know they're they're solid. Michigan State just had a much more difficult task, and it took a while for them to start playing better. But uh, you know, like I said, they lost three of the last four, but they had in uh, in February big wins over Ohio State and Illinois. So I I'd, I'd probably go with UCLA uh, just because of the those circumstances. This sort of reminds me of your time at BYU when they saddled you with Syracuse and UConn, and so they weren't necessarily – I think both of them actually were coming off a national title the year before and didn't have banner years, but they're banner programs. And that's the way I look at whoever BYU gets, not banner years relative to what their program is used to, but nevertheless big name programs. Yeah, you know what that it's true, and I mean, I think Cincinnati who beat us the first in our first. I think they had won a national championship year before. I had to look, but it, it wasn't the year before. It was they had had uh, had a great run, and uh, I feel, and maybe it was more the, the 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 coaching staff there. But you're right. I mean, it's one of those things that it, it is. They may not have had a banner year, but they've got a great tradition, and they've obviously year in and year out have great players. You know. Uh, I, I forgot the guy's name at UCLA, the head coach there, Cronin, I guess. Uh, Cronin, Mick Cronin, you know, yeah. He, yeah, he's done a nice job there. And, you know, that thing was kind of flattened out. And there wasn't a lot of energy, and he's brought energy there, and he's got guys believing they can win. Uh, obviously, Michigan State's a storied program with national championships and, you know, and the like. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they've not had great years. You're right. and But they've proved that on any given night they can do something. But, Playing in neutral sites, uh, you know, I think the advantage for BYU is they get to watch this team play uh, on a Thursday when they're going to play them on a Saturday. And uh, I think that is an advantage. I mean, it's not like they're going to do a lot of different things come Saturday night. It gives guys a familiarity with them. Uh, and, and obviously they've got a bunch of other tape they've watched. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, I think there's a benefit. And then, you know, two days later they got to play BYU – uh, I don't know if the have the sites where everybody's playing yet been established. I think they're going to that field house there, Hinkle, for BYU Hinkle Field House oh. from Hoosiers. 
Mark Pope can measure yep. the free throw line if he'd like, or maybe the rim. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's where Butler plays, and yeah, uh, yeah that's uh, I've been in that field house. Uh, in fact, um, at the end of my time in, in Indiana, Heath Stroyer, I think he was at Tennessee Martin, came in and played Butler. So I sat right behind the bench there and watched that game. That's a story facility and. Uh, I actually spoke in that place. There, a, there was a church gathering there for uh, in that Indiana area, and I remember being in that. And I think I've, I think I've actually been in all the facilities one time or another, just uh, in, in my travels when I was in Indiana. Not watching game. That was the only college game that I watched. But uh, I, I'd always be with the missionaries, and uh, and most of we had people on every campus, and so I had a chance to kind of poke in and take a look at those places and uh so i think i think i've seen everything iupui was our mission that's where they're playing they're playing at their facilities so they're all nice facilities and uh what a what a, what a cool thing to do this thing in indiana and, and to have it all in one central location so um, excited to watch so for Utah State, they are playing Texas Tech, and I think there are people who will tell you the Big 12 was the best conference in the country. There's probably people who will tell you the Big 10 was too. Uh, but even though Texas Tech is, uh, is down a, a little bit in the conference standings, the conference is deep enough that maybe that just means they've been tested and they've played a lot of big games. What do you think of the Aggies' chance of pulling an upset in his 11th seed? Hey, listen, I, I, I believe in Utah State. You know, uh, what they've done the last two years, I, you know, they're not as good offensively as they were last year, obviously losing the big guard. They, they're just they're not, but he's uh, got the coach. And uh, I think both teams are very physical. Both teams are good defensively. You know, you know Texas Tech has had to play really, really physical basketball and, and night in and night out where – I, you know, the Mountain West had a, they had the top of half of the Mountain West, you know, Colorado State, uh, Boise, uh, even Nevada at times, obviously San Diego State. Uh, they were, uh, they, they had a solid league. I mean, they, they had good wins, they had bad losses, but I like that league. It's the best that league's been in a while. So it wasn't like uh, Utah State came from a really soft league because I think this was one of the better Mountain West Conference uh, seasons. Even though it was a COVID time and a lot of games were missed, uh, I, I, I like their chances. Uh, I mean, if I was doing my bracket, I'd probably pick Utah State because I, you know, I lived there and knew that. But in my heart, I'm, I'm thinking Texas Tech wins that game. But certainly, Utah State uh, is capable and has the capacity. They don't. They go nice where they don't score real well, and they're going to have to put up, you know, 60 points to uh, to, to beat a Texas Tech team. Maybe I have to put up more than that. And if they can score early and stay in the game, I mean, you, you've got two great coaches. So I, I, I'm I, hoping that Utah State wins, but I think I'd probably pick Texas Tech just because of what they had to go through the year game in and game out. Mark Pope has certainly generated a lot of enthusiasm in the BYU basketball program. He's got a ton of charisma, but I think it starts now because he needs to separate himself if he wants to be in the coach, and I'm sure he does want to be one of the better coaches. you got to win in the NCAA tournament. I asked him on the conference call as far as 
the great programs, which he played in one at Kentucky, obviously, that those programs are measured by success in the NCAA tournament. That's what you want. Is it fair going forward to judge Mark Pope and BYU based on the NCAA tournament? Well, listen, the, the BYU has been to the NCAA tournament a lot. I mean, in the last 20 years. I mean, Dave, I think, went eight times. Coach Rose, seven or eight times. And we went three in that last five years. And, and Mark would have been in it last year. So the expectation of getting to the tournament makes good sense. Uh, and I think, Dave, when you play on national TV, Gonzaga toe-to-toe and have yourself in a position, I think anybody that watched that team says, hey, this team's capable of winning, you know, one or two games. And uh, so, yeah, I think there is the expectation for them to go there. It's not like they're an underdog. They 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 went toe-to-toe with the best team in the country who's probably going to win a national championship, and they did it on a neutral court. So that raises expectations. Uh, you know, if they lose to Michigan State, you know, that there's, there's a name – school that if you lose to well it was michigan state it wasn't you know some some uh tier five school that upset somebody in a tournament and you should have won i i think there's an expectation in that program that whether they play michigan state or ucla that they can win and uh but in terms of how they're judged i i think the thing that mark has done in a really quick time and probably could not done it in in an era where uh, did it because of transfer rules and, and getting guys eligible uh, immediately, you know, it was Barcello, uh, with Harms, uh, Everett. I think he, I think he sat out. But uh, certainly the transfers, and we've talked about this before. You can get yourself better pretty quickly. And you know, Mark talks all the time about having a great locker room, and their coaching staff is really, really good about that, and having the culture that you need, and having guys bought in. So they've, they've done all the things that they should do. Uh, it's it's really hard for me to find any real fault with with Coach Pope and what he's done in the first two years. There's great energy, guys love him, and the fans, you know, even though they haven't been around this year, uh, the, the Gonzaga win the end of last year, you know, brought the kind of the community together, and immediately you knew that BYU was going to be good again for a long stretch here. And I think the, that we talked about this before, but I just think his ability to get transfers and and to fill in holes for guys going on missions and coming off uh, is something that he's really good at. He's got a great personality, as does his whole staff. You know, they're really people-oriented. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, everybody's judged. And it's fair. I mean, you're in this business, and I was in the tournament three times and and came within the last minute of winning a couple of times and and didn't. You know, and I look back and just – I mean, I'm, I'm not beating myself up over it, but that, that would have been really special. And we had opportunities to win in two of those games late and didn't. And we were playing two teams that had won national championships, come for story programs. And I felt like, you know, we didn't get it done. And I, I take responsibility for that. Players do too. But, yeah, I mean, you, you win a couple of those games, you know, all of a sudden you got a chance to be at the Sweet 16 because you get momentum. And, and uh, so there haven't been a lot of Sweet 16 teams at BYU, there have been a few, but uh, I think it's uh, – I'm, I'm not sure that this is a Sweet 16 team, but, but certainly if they shoot the three ball well, uh, they can beat either one of these teams. I mean, they've got to come out and shoot well. And, uh, and, and then I think Michigan State is going to be more physical, 
and and I think BYU is up for a game like that. Um, but I, I I think Michigan State wins, and then I think it's going to be a really really good game, and BYU will need to play well to beat Michigan State. Uh, but we saw them play real well about a week ago against the number one team in the nation. And so it's hard not to believe that these guys can't replicate it and do it again. So hopefully that's what happens, and they play well. Um, and and we don't let's not forget this either. BYU's been really solid defensively, and you know having arms at the rim and having good, strong, quick guards that are physical uh, and just don't let guys have their way. Defensively, they've done a really solid job. So. Um, they don't have to shoot it as well as they did against Gonzaga, but I, I think they need to be – they're shooting 40 45% from the field and they're shooting 40% from the three, then uh, probably they're in a position to, to beat Michigan State. If they don't, it, it, will, it will be challenging because I think Michigan State – I mean, you're talking about a team that finished ninth in their league. Sells you a little bit something about their league. They finished ninth. 15 and 12 and get to the tournament as 11 seed. Mind you, it's a playing game, but uh, that's a pretty doggone good league. And like you said before, the Big Ten and uh, the Big 12 are probably the two toughest leagues in the in the country this year. We've all seen tournament games where a team that had tournament experience had a significant edge, calming the nerves, just playing the game, not worrying about everything else. Well, another team could be all wide-eyed. I watched this tournament the whole time growing up and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we didn't have a tournament last year. I mean, we know who the tournament teams largely were, but they didn't actually get to play. And with a turnover two years, graduation, all the transfers, I'm wondering if you think that will, you know, tournament experience is going to matter as much this year or if it's just going to be a really different kind of year because Utah State is playing Texas Tech. BYU, if, they, if Michigan State beats UCLA, they will be playing teams that played each other in the Final Four two years ago. Texas Tech beat yeah. Michigan State. Does that matter, or is two years, 20 years in college basketball, and we're going to see a lot of nerves in the tournament this year? No, I, I, think, I think it does matter to a certain degree because I think that people that are in those programs have those expectations, and it's not to say that BYU or Utah State don't have expectations to win and get to the next level in the next round or be sweet 16 teams. They just haven't done it very often, you know, so there's not a history there. Uh, whereas with these two clubs story programs that have had great success and, and with good coaches. So I, I think the mindset of a Texas tech or a Michigan state is, Hey, we've been there before. This is done before. This is what we do. This is who we are. It's not, I'm not saying that BYU and Utah state don't feel that and believe that and that the coaching staff isn't instilling that. I think they are. But still, it's different than, hey, we were you know, in a Final Four two years ago. I mean, that is a different expectation. That's a different place. And, uh, and you know, it, it gets guys fired up. The underdog deal is always what the NC2A is about. Now, the, the thing that isn't going to be happening is there's not going to be a lot of fans, I don't think, are there? I haven't seen anything officially about fans in the in facilities. If there are a few, uh, you know, it, it's not going to be a lot. So you're taking away that energy that comes to teams that are underdogs and all of a sudden in a, an entire arena of people from other, other schools, you know, they're neutral to the game. They don't care who wins. But all of a sudden, anytime it's a higher seed against a lower seed, they're pulling for the underdog. And interestingly enough, Michigan State and UCLA 
would would always be names like that, or you know, you feel like you're the underdog, and yet BYU is not. I mean, they're they're a succeed, and and uh, but there's something to be said about the mindset of being in programs that have been to the Final Fours, and that expectation. You don't have to talk a lot about it. The players know that's why they went to that institution. That's why they were recruited there to go to you know Final Eights and Sweet Sixteens and Final Fours. So. Um, yeah, I, I would think that – I don't think BYU is going in the start. They've got older guys now, you know, too. I mean, you've got three seniors that have been in college programs for almost five years now, so they've seen a lot. Uh, you know, how does a Travis Snell or a Spencer Johnson, how do they step up? You know, you watched them against Gonzaga make big plays and and uh, and, and, and do things uh, in, in games. So I, I don't think they come into this thing wide-eyed and – not sure and nervous. I think they believe, but once that ball gets tipped up, you have physicality of that game and everything. And that's the one thing I like about BYU. BYU has gotten so much better over the year in terms of physicality, defensively, a lot of it's game prep, you know, being in the right place. Uh, but yeah, I think Michigan State, you know, UCLA has not been very good for a while. Uh, so I don't even know that these young kids, I mean, I know they, you know, UCLA is a storied program, but for Michigan State, and it's a different deal. And uh, they, they've been there and recently and uh, have a storied program as well. So we'll see. I mean, I know the guys are going to be excited, and they'll be prepared. Well, you know, everybody's prepared at this time of the year, and I think that playing in a neutral site, playing no fans, I think that always benefits the, the uh, probably the, the team that is the more physically – and more talented team. If there's not going to be fans, who 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 gets the the underdogs going? So you have not having fans. And Michigan State now, you figure if they end up beating UCLA, and that's what I'm I'm thinking is going to happen. Um, they've had three big time wins against teams that've been ranked in the top five all year. So uh, I don't think they're going to come into any game thinking that they can't win. The Jazz are four and five in the last nine games. Is this just something that happens in the middle of the NBA season, or are teams catching up to them? The advantage that they had in continuity over other clubs early in the year, the fact their team playing teams the second and third time, they got a better idea what they want to do against the Jazz. Uh, you know, are, are teams catching up to them, and should fans be worried? Well, you know what, I I don't know they need to be worried, but teams are going to catch up to them when you play them multiple times and at this time of the year. But look at the rest of the league. I mean, everybody, I mean, you've got 10, 11, 12, 13 losses in the top three or four people. I mean, so it's happening everywhere. And, you know, they've got three road games at Boston, Washington, and Toronto, you know, and, and you know, all three of those programs are struggling. I mean, I mean Boston had a, a good win coming out of the All-Star break and lost. I mean, they're Boston 6-4, and four, Washington's 4-6, four and six, Toronto's 3-7. and seven. But we know they're all capable. I mean, certainly Boston and Toronto – if the guys are playing, the right guys are playing, and they're healthy, those are difficult places to play on the road. You, you, you know, six months ago when you saw that schedule, or I guess these schedules probably weren't out six months ago with COVID, but once you saw that schedule, you go, that those would be two tough places to play. And so I think it's what everybody's going through. I mean, you look at all the teams with 13, 14, 18, 19 losses. I mean, uh, it's it's just the nature of the year, and. Uh, Coming, you know, the second half of this year, I think the Jazz are still in a good position, even though they're, you know, they've they've lost a few games. 
But at the end of the day, uh, I, I still think the Jazz are playing well. You know, they can't they can't have guys. I mean, you start looking at I'm watching this doggone. Uh, uh, all of a sudden, I forgot. I, I, I'm, I'm watching New Orleans Pelicans play, uh, and I'm thinking oh, these guys. They're not a great basketball team. They're 17 and 22, but on a given night, they can beat anybody because they can score. You know, I mean, I, I didn't, I just didn't try. I didn't see Golden State just thrashing the Clippers. You know, and mind you, it was a home. So, yeah, anything can happen, and I think this is the time of the year where it does. But there's a lot of parity in this league. There isn't much that separates one to eight. To be honest with you, I mean, we know who really has a chance to get to the finals, and and I think that if you took uh, Brooklyn. I mean, the Lakers haven't played great. Uh, you take the Clippers, teams at preseason. Philadelphia is playing better. Obviously, Utah is playing better. But there's only a handful of teams that can probably get to the finals just because if, if everybody stays healthy. And, and I think Utah has proven that after 38 games, they can get to a finals. They, they've demonstrated they can beat good teams. Uh, but a lot of it, too, and I, and I wouldn't have the analytics and stats for this, but Sometimes you're playing teams when they're missing players, and uh, you know you you can get wins when you know maybe had certain guys not been sick or not been in protocol or whatever the circumstances were. But I think the Jazz are still solid. Jazz have a chance to go on the road and win these three games, and all three of those teams they got question marks. People they're not sure what's going on. Their own fan base doesn't know what's going on. They go on the road and lose two of those or three of those. Then, then, then there's something to worry about. But I think if they go on the road and win two out of three or win all three, then I think that makes a huge statement as we get into the second half of the season that Utah is going to be at the top here in one or two of the conference, and they're going to, you know, they're going to have home court advantage. Steve, as always, we appreciate a few minutes talking Cougars, talking Aggies, talking Jazz. Enjoy the March Madness. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. It'll be fun to watch. See you guys. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Everything you missed in this show will get you up to speed. Utah football, the NCAA tournament, and the Jazz and the Warriors. It's all next. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Well, you, you have to do your due diligence in terms of betting or researching of the players by talking to their college coaches, their strength and conditioning coaches at the previous schools, the athletic trainers, and just uh, their high school coaches. So you, you dig pretty deep, but then the conversations with the young men, whether it's a recruiting coach or myself, getting to know them and making sure it will be a smooth transition. It's not a science. It's not a perfect match 100% of the time. However, we feel like we have hit home runs in the players that you're discussing. That's Andy Ludwig, Utah's offensive coordinator, earlier this morning on the show. Home runs and the players you're discussing. Inside the park, though? Doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, so the, if, you, if you get a home run at quarterback, that's, uh, that's a walk-off in the ninth. But if you get a home run at running back and it's inside the park, who cares? 
And and the Utes, uh, the quarterback room is loaded with transfers. The uh, running, but the top two running backs, well, at least two of the top three. We'll see how it plays out. At least two of the top three, maybe the top two, running backs are transfers. How many home runs did they hit? He didn't put a number on it. Two, three, four. How many? Well, it's important to have depth, but it's more important to have a stud starter. Yes. You want the depth because you tend to use it because you have injuries. But he didn't say they hit doubles. Home runs. So... We'll see where we'll see where that goes when we get to September. But in the same breath, he says it's not a science. Right, they've taken transfers who are not home runs. Uh, we could probably okay, but, list them. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not my point. The point being, he thinks they're home runs, but they're it's not a science. Do, mm-hmm. So, do we really know? With the freshman, I would say absolutely not. I would say probably with Brewer because he's played a lot of college football. Um, but they brought in Bentley, and you could say probably. Now there was the changing the system thing and that. But it, 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 it didn't work out to everybody's hopes, to anybody's hopes. Well, he already left. Right. I mean, yeah. I so think, it's not I think a, he announced this, he was transferring in the fourth quarter of Washington State. <laughs> it's not a science, and that would be an example of it's not so, a science. So you— but you can say you've got a home run, but until you have a home run, you don't know that you have a home run. When dost thou knoweth <laughs> you have a home run? When you're standing in Las Vegas on a podium holding the Pac-12 title trophy, then you know you have a home run. Come on, Shakespearean, let's right. go. But I think we have I, said I this many. That. We've said many times that when the youth coaches. Tell us somebody, and not just one, not just Kyle, although Kyle's certainly done it, but other, other people who've been up there a long time too, say, this person's really good. They're not always right, but they're right way more often than they're wrong. So to your point, do they know for certain? No, because we can go back to other people where they thought they were really good. But man, do they bet 85 or 90% when they make those predictions? Yeah, I think they do. Going back years, Man. depending on how many years, how many, which person. How many times Eric Rowe is your guy. Eric Rowe is your guy. They told you, Eric yeah, Rowe. This, this, isn't, this isn't defensive back. It is not. You're right. And if that injects a little more doubt into your mind, I don't blame you. A ton of doubt. But I also You're feel like it's a home a, run on potential for three of the four. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. But that doesn't matter as much if Brewer plays the whole time. Sure. And it doesn't matter if two of the four don't pan out. If two do, you're, you're golden. If one does, that's good if he stays healthy. But how many times have the youths had a starting quarterback injury? Uh, certainly they did last year. I would say three of the last four years. The starting quarterback's gone down, right? Yeah, okay, fine. I mean, that's bad news, but yeah. you have depth. that You think you have depth, but nobody on your depth chart outside of Brewer has proven Jack. Fact. That is fact Jack. That, that he hasn't proven Jack. <laughs> what he just said. <laughs> I don't want to try to repeat that. I don't want to downgrade what Ludwig is saying, because whatever I know, he knows a million times more. 
but it's hard for me to believe that you've got four power hitters in your quarterback room because they've never had four quarterback yep. power hitters, and now all of a sudden you've got them based on I what? I don't care. The ability the, to hand I, off and throw to the tight end? I came, in, I came into this week, and you did too, assuming that at least one of those guys is going to transfer. So you don't, you don't need to have four. We've seen kids transfer twice, so the thought that one well, of these kids is, if they do. Yeah, the thought that one of these kids is going to – if you're the starter on the depth chart, great. And if you're second on the quarterback depth chart, you ought to – you're in that building and it was Morgan Scala. You, you don't know what happened at 530. Well, I'm thinking at 530, somebody on that coaching staff has mentioned, yeah, the back of quarterbacks played three of the last four years, so how about you be ready? So I would think if you're the number two quarterback, well, you're not excited yeah, you lost the be. job, but you're still thinking there's a pretty good chance I'm going to be play here. I got to be ready. Now when you're third well, or not just that fourth, they're all young, they have the opportunity. Even if you're third or fourth, it's mm-hmm. the, I don't I don't see it's not this year. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, anything else you want to pass along? Because we heard from Kyle and then uh, heard from the head coach, the offensive coordinator, Andy Ludwig. Uh, we heard from two of the four quarterbacks. All four spoke, but we had to go to commercial break at some point. So, 50-minute session. Well, we don't know who's going to win the running back job. Nope. And I think that that's important, particularly at Utah, when whoever wins that running back job is usually good. So that's something to watch there. And then receivers, uh, they got a couple of spots open. Enos needs to step up and have a big season. Uh, out of out of he's there, been in the program now for a number of years. It's time. Uh, they need they need production. If they don't get production out of him, then it's going to be troubling. You'll get production out of the tight ends, and you'll get production out of Covey. But if you get too much out of Covey, he's going to get hurt. So you can't keep going to him constantly. He's too small. He's dynamic. Love the kid. Hope he stays healthy all 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 games, however many games they play. Uh, that would 18. be awesome. But it's probably 21, 22. What are they? Yeah. What are they Weaver State? Who's counting? <laughs> uh, certainly 13, maybe 14 if they get into the playoff i mean not likely but not totally out of the realm so there's a lot of things that need to be decided and i don't even know that i believe they have all the receivers that they're going to have when the season starts in camp right now i don't i don't believe that yeah i I think they're going to get the transfer window kyle's talked about it now just because you want to get someone doesn't mean you do but well, they haven't gotten a big transfer at quarter at running at receiver, as I named three positions before finally getting to the one I meant. Carrington was the exception. He got kicked off the team in or uh, at Oregon, and Kyle has been known to take guys who have trouble before. And the Carrington thing worked out. He didn't, as far as I know, he didn't present any trouble. And every time you talk to him, he just expressed his gratitude for giving the opportunity. And he was determined to not screw it up, at least publicly. Nothing that I'm aware of. He did screw it. He didn't screw it up. He was a good kid. So it's not like I'm going to count on them thinking, oh, my gosh, man, i got to get myself to Utah where I can really blossom as a receiver. It will be interesting to see if they have more success with receivers in the transfer portal than they've had in the past, in part because they have so many transfers and who will those kids recruit. 
Uh, Jaquinda Jackson spoke and went into how Ty Jordan got him to Utah. They knew each other competing against each other in Texas, and that was a big part of why he ended up choosing to transfer. Uh, Jordan had committed to Texas and flipped, and he had committed to Texas and gone, but then transferred. So, you know, maybe maybe one of these quarterbacks coming in knows somebody and has a relationship, and that can help them land something they had, somebody they hadn't gotten before. We'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, we also talked a lot of uh, NCAA tournament uh, this morning. Uh, BYU, UCLA, or Michigan State. The consensus is it's going to be Michigan State. It's one game, so you never know. But Steve Cleland pointed out the four-game losing streak for UCLA. You pointed out the injuries to UCLA. And Michigan State has been uneven. They have beaten very they they've beaten very good teams. They've gotten very good wins, and of course they're an 11 seed because they also have very bad losses. Yes, but man, beating two of the four number one seeds certainly jumps out at you. <laughs> it does, and it, it makes now, you granted, think. Those were all. Why are you ninth place and an eleven seed? You took down some of the best teams in the yeah, country. They did it at the end because it's all from like February twenty sixth on. I think I've double checked that, uh, and I believe they were all in East Lansing. So. You'll get that opportunity, but I am just real eager to see what the Cougars can do uh, because and they got a lot of enthusiasm. You listen to Alex Barcelo. He's talking about how he's basically been reborn. This is what he came here for, and this is their big opportunity. And, and it's so dicey in a one-game basis. I mean, you could just have cold shooting nights. And just makes everything a struggle. Just mm-hmm. look like last year, St. Mary's in the NCAA, in the conference tournament. They were better than St. Mary's, but they lost like fifty-one to fifty, I think, something like that. Uh, Ford hit a shot right at the end, and BYU just couldn't get any rhythm going offensively. So you never really know as far as that goes in an individual game. But this is their t- their time, man. Mark Pope talks a great game, and he's done tremendous stuff. But you got to do it now. Getting to the NCAA tournament is nice. And I think it, it meant more when you're coming out of the Mountain West. To me, just by having a basketball program, you ought to be second in the big, in the West Coast every single year. You should be most years. Eight out of ten years, you should finish second. Minimum, finish second. It's just a, it's a weak, weak conference. So I can't give you a whole lot of platitudes for doing that. It's what you're going to do now. And that's how you want to be recognized anyway. You don't want to be recognized for a good regular season, you know, like a big sky. If they make it to the tournament or your guys, Santa Barbara, if you make it to the tournament. It's already a good year. Outstanding season. Yeah. yeah. U- UCSB has won they're one. On a different level. UC Santa Barbara has won one tournament game ever. I think this is their sixth or seventh trip, I think. Uh, and so it is. It's a different level. You're and you want to, aren't you? You want to be. Creighton's going down. <laughs> uh, so you want to be. You want to separate yourself from that group of schools and be the team that wins in the tournament. And and winning a tournament game is a big deal. And coaches know what it does for their career. The ads I think all it's know the school. Especially a big deal. It's especially a big deal for BYU because of their commitment to the transfer portal. It's bigger now. The ramifications are stronger now. It's not like, okay, you win a tournament game. Well, let's hope that there's good LDS talent. 
because that's going to determine how good your basketball program is. If there's good LDS talent and you get the most of it, you're going to be good. If there's weak LDS talent those particular year or years, you're probably not going to be good. Mark Pope has moved past that. And getting success in the NCAA tournament, he's opened up a lot of doors. Getting harms was a great pickup. Now, going forward here, if you can back it up with some NCAA tournament success, I think that just opens the doors for a lot more kids who are mature enough, if they're not LDS, to handle all the hoops that you got to jump through to be at BYU. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your feedback coming up next. DJ and PK brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join the Big Show Friday at The Warehouse from 2 to 6, 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. It's a late boom, but we give you a boom nonetheless. I did think of that. It is late in the show to have a warehouse read. I don't know who tracks that other than you and I, but it's late. All right. Feedback. What have you got to say about today's show? Jazz lose to the Warriors. What's up with that? James Fertitta says, bad loss yesterday. Need that win. Losing to a 500 team, you know, they beat so many 500 teams winning uh, 11 in a row and then 9 in a row and making a 20 out of 21 that the blowout win over the 500 team was almost a foregone conclusion there for a while, and now suddenly it's not. And again, the Celtics, their next opponent, another team that's been bouncing around 500, 500-ish all year, uh, coming off a, a win yesterday, but they've been up and down, and they're two games over right now at 20-18. and 18. Yeah, I think they're a good team. I think they've played below their potential. It's going to be a dangerous game. I always had it circled as a dangerous game. Yeah, absolutely. Rod says the other NBA teams are getting better, and they are figuring out the jazz. And then there's an emoji. A scared guy, eyes wide open. That was Steve Cleveland's point. Inevitably, other teams are going to catch up. They're going to improve. They're going to figure out what you're doing and figure out an answer, and now you got to adjust to them. They adjusted to you. you got to adjust to them. One thing that was happening with those turnovers hasn't happened earlier. The, the whole thing has been stick with the Jazz three-point shooters. So when you go to drive, there's nobody around you. And suddenly the Warriors were leaving the shooters and reaching in and trying to poke the ball away, and it worked a few times. That's how they got Bogey a few times. They got Mitchell doing that once. Some of the turnovers were bad passes, but a lot of them were off the dribble. Yeah, when you got such a strong defensive weapon like Rudy Gobert and you eliminate him via your turnovers, that really does suck. Yeah. Yep, he's not likely to have a big impact when uh, when someone uh, pops the ball loose at the free throw line and has a head start on him. Right. You State Iceman, I think my Aggies are going to win their game Friday. When you two play two games in less than 24 hours, one the day before, you've not much gas in the tank. But we will be running on a full tank this game. So I think we can win. Defense travels. Defense travels. We've heard that more than once. I'm sure you heard it many times from Rick Majerus, and you were saying that Mountain West Conference title game is a game that uh, he would have enjoyed at the big buffet in the sky, that that was how he wanted to play basketball, and that was a brutal turnaround for the Aggies. Uh, playing until like midnight, and then uh, back at it four o'clock the next afternoon. With testing yeah, but that's in between. Out the window. Yep. Everybody's on the same schedule now going forward for them. BYU will get a little bit of a break, but uh, we're 
Utah State is. They got the opportunity to show how good you are. Yeah, your defense does it can be consistent from place to place. I agree, but your offense has got to make enough shots. You just simply cannot win a game exclusively defensively. That doesn't work. You've got to find ways to put the ball in the basket. You can't have these long three, four, five minute scoring droughts. All right, DJ PK, we're out of time. Hands at Scotty are coming up next right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.